So the first flight broke, basically. Uh, they flew an engineer out from London. He got there, couldn't fix the fucking thing, so they had to cancel it. Then me and him, me and Martin, Crafty Cuts, we had to buy new flights to Gatwick instead of to Birmingham, and then from Gatwick to here. And we came by the skin of our teeth with like 12 minutes to spare. I got you. Got you. One, two. One, two, one, two. Yo, this is Charlie Tuna from Jurassic 5 Live and Direct here in Glasgow, Scotland, and you call that radio? <laughs> You call that radio. Good afternoon, Troopadors, and welcome to episode 15 of You Call That Radio, mastered by Murphamish and powered by the Patreons. This is a very special episode. It's going to feature an extended interview with the late, great Jake Black, who most of you will know is the very Reverend D. Wayne Love of Alabama 3. Now, this interview was done much earlier in the year. It was supposed to be released in June, the same week that we found out about Jake passing away. And so, obviously, it was just the, the, the launch of the podcast was postponed and I didn't really know what to do with the audio, the interview, I didn't know. I knew it was too weird to release it so soon after his passing. But I think it would also be weird to release it in about a year's time. I know it's a bit weird anyway, releasing, you know, an interview with someone who's actually no longer with us. But lots of people have been asking about it. And I felt like the time was right. Because... Alabama 3 are playing a sold-out Barrowlands next week in the 14th of December. And the after party is a tribute to Jake. It's uh, Ivory Blacks from about 10 o'clock to 3 in the morning. And it's to raise funds for Mojo, which is the Miscarriage of Justice organisation, which was a charity very close to Jake's heart. So... Before we get to the interview with Jake, we're going to have a little chat with Kathy, who's a very close friend of Jake's, and she works with Mojo, so we're going to do a bit of that, and I just hope that for any friends, family, fans, that hearing his voice again, he was in brilliant form throughout the interview, hopefully it'll be good to hear his voice again, because it, it I know it was for me, I've just listened to the whole interview for the first time, just a few moments ago myself. I just was, it's the first time I've, you know, this is December now, I just couldn't listen back to it. Just felt a bit sad listening back to it first. And also, I was just a bit worried about listening back to myself, because it was literally the first day of interviews I did. I did Lucy Lyrical on the same day, but that was my first foray into podcasting, and I thought Jake would be the ideal guest. And it was just a happy accident that he happened to be in Glasgow when I was ready to to dip my toe into the podcasting waters. And he was right up for doing it. It was an honour to speak to him. And after listening back to it, 
it is a really good interview. It starts quite serious. We start, you know, he's talking about politics. He's a very well-read and intellectual man. So it starts pretty serious. And by the end, there's lots of laugh-out-loud moments talking about how Alabama 3 got together and some of the rock and roll stories from the touring world of a, of Alabama 3. And you can hear me and Gordy giggling in the background at certain points. But I've decided not to edit any of it. I think that if I started... There's a couple of bits that made me a wee bit uncomfortable when he's talking about his plans for the future. And obviously you know that that, that, that didn't happen. Uh, which is a, that was a little bit uncomfortable to listen to. But for the most part, it's just really good to hear his voice again and hear his partner. And I think that you're you're going to enjoy it. And I hope you do. I've just decided to not edit anything because I think that if I started cutting it, then some of his message might get lost. So it's just going to be unedited. And we've got a couple of little bits before the, that begins. But thank you for tuning in to You Call That Radio. Thanks to Morphemish for mastering the audio. Thanks to the Icebox for letting us host interview. This was from the Icebox which is a, a, a music and arts venue in the Gorbals, was just opening up. So you can hear in the background some pool tables getting moved about, some arcades games getting moved about. Uh, but Murphy has done a really good job of of, get, of making the audio nice despite some some challenging some challenging issues. So thanks to, to Murphy thanks to the Icebox, and thanks to all the Patreons who sponsor the show. Uh, we could, I couldn't do it without you, so thank you so much. And I hope everyone enjoys the show. Well, I think what we're going to just do just now is just go to Joe Bone, who is a friend of Jake's. They grew up in the same area, and they did a song together called Jazzhead, which Joe's kindly given me permission to use. So I think what we'll maybe do is just go straight to the music, just to hear Jake, I didn't want to use Alabama 3 because I know that there's some major label, record labels own most of their music and I don't want to get taken down for copyright violations or anything. But Joe's given me permission for this one. This is uh, Joe Bone in the Dark Vibes featuring the very reverend D. Wayne Love and it's called Jazzhead. <laughs> This is Jazz Break 40724 and this is my friends, this is Joe Bone and the Dab Vibes. Get out of bed Sleep is done My nightmare shed I've got this voice Inside my head It sounds like jazz It's gotta be said I'm a jazz Just a jazz I'm a jazz Such a jazz 
Passing a big Jake, uh, or a very reverend D. Wayne Lover, Alabama, three years, most people knew him. It was a shock to me, as I'd just spoken to him recently, uh, before his untimely death. I first came in contact with a big man when he contacted me through Facebook, saying he'd heard some of my music and was very interested in working with me on something. I actually didn't know who he was uh, at the time. Although I had a couple of Alabama 3 CDs in my music collection, I was quite unaware who, who was in the band or uh, in a, the background. We got chatting and one thing led to another and it turned out uh, we grew up in the same wee square in Sunny Law Street in Postal Park. And we knew the same mad characters who frequented the area at the time. So it was all sort of kind of like, and old pals getting together, although we, we, we didn't make any contact with each other in the early days. Jake asked me in particular if I'd be interested in writing an alternative jazz track, as he was a big jazz fan. And he asked me if I think I could do that, and I said, well, I'll give it a go. So I took up a challenge, and uh, we made arrangements for him to be a main contributor to a forthcoming Joe Bone and Dark Vibes EP with Big Jake penning in some spoken words to fit in with the tracks, which he did brilliantly. We made the EP, he hooked me up with a small independent record label called Grassroots, who funded the cost of providing the hard copies for it, which I'll be eternally grateful for. He gave up his time freely for us and um, he even travelled up to Glasgow to sing live with us on stage. 
He was a very giving person. Very giving. As far as his time is concerned, and in my mind, that is the most precious thing that someone can give you, you know. He kept in constant contact after that, and sometimes talking on the phone for hours. Mostly about his favourite things, which was music, Celtic, and a world full of injustices. He got me in touch with Mojo, the Miscarriages of Justice organisation, encouraged me to write a song for him, which I done. We both had the same kind of sense of humour, so we always got on a house in fire. And we would meet up when he came up to Glasgow, either when he was playing with a band or up here to visit his family. He always finished every conversation with me asking how my partner was. That's how, that's how he was. He, he instantly became part of your environment. That was the kind of character he was, you know. Gone sorely missed a big man. He was a real decent human being. R.I.P. Big Jake. Thank you very much to Joe Bowen for those lovely words and for letting us use one of his songs that you heard earlier, which is Jazz Head by Joe Bowen and the Dark Vibes, featuring the very Reverend D. Wayne Love. Coming up next, before we go to the interview with Jake, we're going to have a little chat with Kathy Malloy, who's a very good friend of Jake's, going back 15 years or so. She also works for the Mojo charity, which Jake was a, a massive supporter of. And like I said earlier, they're doing a tribute night to Jake after the sold-out Alabama Three Barras gig. There's going to be a tribute to Jake night, raising money for Mojo on the 14th of December from around 10 o'clock to 3 in the morning. It's a cracking lineup. These nights are always legendary, so you really do want to get a ticket if you haven't already. And all proceeds goes to Mojo, a charity that Jake was very fond of and always supporting. So just to set the scene here, I interviewed Cathy last week. I went, first of all, I went to the wrong Mojo offices. For some reason, I thought they were still next to Carrollton Studios, but they've moved. And when I arrived, we had to stop the first interview because there was a wee dog running about the office uh, that was, that was uh, let's say, a, a bit, a bit um, distracting. A bit distracting. So we had to cut. Then we did another take, and at that point, I think the dog knocked it off. It might have just been me, but we'll blame it on the dog again. Kathy, how you doing? I'm fine, Mark. How are you? I'm very well, very well. I'm glad to hear that. Glad to see you, glad to see you. Uh, we're at the Mojo offices, so before we, we talk about Jake, I just think it's probably good to give a bit of background of where we are and, and, and what, the, what Mojo stands for and what it is. Well, you're at the Mojo, as you say, it's the Miscarriages of Justice organisation. It's an organisation that was set up by Paddy Hill uh, of the Birmingham Six. And I have been working here for 15 years. We are now situated in... Salt Market. Not the Carrollton, which not, is where I went Carlton, today. where you went today. Uh, we've been here for about five years. Hopefully going to do another move to bigger premises in the sort of first half of the year next year, hopefully January, February. And uh, But still staying in Salt Market, uh, like the area. And um, 
that's supposed to be part of the regeneration as well. So yes, nice it's, a, it's all change, isn't it? Yeah, it's all change. change. Uh, so that's it. Yeah, so, it, and um, obviously Jake was a massive supporter of the Mojo organisation. So could you uh, tell us, how did you first meet Jake? First met Jake at an Alabama 3 um, fundraising event. And uh, his first words to me was, you're right, Cathy. Uh, this big, tall, grungy. So how did they know your name? It he, he, heard about me through oh, the organisation. Knew there was a woman working with the organisation. It had been a very uh, male-dominated organisation before I had come into it. Uh, and... So he kind of knew the jaw heard that there was there was a a woman working for I didn't like that I wanted a lassie but I was a woman there's a woman working with Mojo and how did um, you first, sorry just just to go back how did you first hear about Mojo I first heard about Mojo an Alabama three um, gig that's mental isn't it? and it is absolutely mental because um, I was at the gig came out and uh, John McManus and a few other people were standing handing out leaflets. I was doing my criminology degree and I was looking for a place to um, to go and volunteer, you know, as part of my course. And I was a mature student and I didn't want to get into, you know, the norm. Yeah. Uh, so I had a look at it. It was, it was highlighting uh, one of the cases. It was the Stevie Johnson and Billy Allison case. And I went back to John McManus and I said to him, are you taking volunteers? Say die, give them a phone. The rest is history. That's quite good because I mean, obviously, everyone has a has a bad, you know, think the worst of lawyers and the legal system and the justice system. So it's like using your powers for good for the. Oh, absolutely! So it's absolutely. like a, such a great thing to be doing. With well, it. the thing is, is mistakes do happen for whatever reason. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm anti this or anti that because we're not. Uh, you know, you try to be fair about everything. It's but the thing is, is if I make a mistake, Mark, I'm held accountable for it. Yeah. Um. So, I the justice system isn't always to be just held, exactly, and it has to be held accountable for its mistakes, yeah. which it does make, and it tends not to admit to them. They don't really like admitting no, mistakes, no, you know. They're quite no, good at punishing no, other people for mistakes, exactly. But. but they do happen, and as I say, Paddy Hill, Robert Brown, you know, Victor Borman, Malky Byrne. I could go on and on and on. There are so many in my yeah. clients, you know. They, these people are all miscarriages of justice. You know, Jimmy Boyle, you, you're just like, well, they happen. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in a job. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be sitting here with you the now telling yeah. you about, about Mojo and, and you know, uh, Jake's involvement with us. So let's go back to that. So Jake comes up, says hello, Kathy, and you you're obviously New Alabama three because you'd, oh, you'd, be, you'd been to see them live and I stuff. I was starstruck. I was a fan. Um, the fact that Jake had spoke to me, I was like, oh, it was my name. It was my name. Um, and I just got to know the I got to know the band. Jim, Jake, and I became friends because every time Jake was in Glasgow, be it to come home and see his family or if he had any, he did some DJing stuff here. He did some um, promotion work with other bands and stuff. And any time that he was here, he always made his way to the office, always, always made his way to the office. And due to that, a friendship uh, formed. And um, it, yeah. was quite, it was quite interesting, that, the fact that Jake, because obviously he, he travelled the world and he met all these mm-hmm. things, but mm-hmm. then he just 
spoke to everyone and anyone. Anybody. So it's kind of what it gave a lot of people. I, mean, I think that's a big reason for their cult following in Glasgow. It's just like it gave, it gave a window into this other world to, oh, to the, listen, the normal. He was just, he was just a normal Glasgow guy. He wasn't the, you know, I said to his family, he was a big arsehole, but he was <laughs> my big arsehole. Yeah. And if you to call him that, I would be offended at that, yeah. but it was okay. It's, you know, but they got that. And he was the nicest, gentlest man, but he was a much and get, you know, and that was it. That's what you're he saying. Would he wouldn't get, share his breakfast with you. No, he would get a piece of Andy's door, but he wouldn't, he wasn't so good at getting it. You know, he wasn't the first man up to the bar to buy you a drink or anything like that. You said that the fu- you'd give an amazing speech at the funeral. Oh, thank it you. was really, it must have been difficult, but it sounded uh, He was sounded, a good but, friend, Mark, a really good and, friend. She said that he was—he wasn't always generous with his money, but he was generous with his time. Oh, his time! It would honestly, it wasn't just to the organisation. To me, as a friend, mm. you know, when I had my stroke, he was amazing. He was absolutely amazing. He was never off the phone. Mm. Um, talking shite, but it was, it was a, you get a long phone call. Out oh, him, you, you get a long <laughs> phone call out him, and sometimes you didn't know half the things that he was saying. But you know, it was. That he thought of me, yeah. you know, and and that that was it. He's he's been with me at protests at Westminster. He's stood with his hodden banners. He's just an amazing guy, and as I say, an amazing friend. And um, I miss him. I miss him yeah. desperately. Um, but you know, I don't know how. This event in Glasgow, I'm dreading. I won't be at Barrowlands yeah. because, like, so many great venues that have shut down. Because I'm now disabled, yeah. it's no disabled friendly. Yeah. So you know, if it had been in, for instance, in ABC or somewhere else, you know, I could have got the, to that. Did you know what the thing is? Is that if you were to get a wheelchair for the night, then but we we've we've had um, we've had. Because obviously we played the Barrow ones before, yeah. and we've got fans and friends that are wheelchairs, and the the, the the staff just carry up. I know, but I just I couldn't, I can't. I'm no. too embarrassed. Yep. I mean, that is it's my own embarrassment. And the other thing as well is that once you're in there, it's getting about. You yep. know, there are stairs everywhere, and they yep. pose a problem for me, so I won't be there. And in a way, I'm glad of that because I went to Falkirk. Um, just after that was just so soon after that was passing. so soon after it, and and I, I commend the band for doing that because yeah. they did. Um, but yeah, it would have been it was it would it would have been I'm just raw emotion. That's yeah, because oh, I was actually wanting to go to, but it's like I can imagine it would have been yeah because everybody's at different. The, the thing that I've always found with grief is is that it always affects you differently each time it happens. And everybody's at different stages. Absolutely. So sometimes, you know, sometimes there's something really cathartic about even going to a funeral. Yeah. And sometimes you just can't do it. Oh, that was a so, funeral and a half. Well, that, that was, I've never seen um, a funeral I've quite like that. I've never seen a funeral like that in my life. And, it you was know, like, I, I, I'm so honoured that I was a part of yeah, it. Yeah, it was like a proper concert. It was amazing. Every speech was hilarious. Yeah. There was a, there was like, you know, b- biker gangs. Oh, it, there was, it was just the scream of Delica flowers. There was mm-hmm. just the whole street came to a standstill. It was how much he was thought of, and I mean the generosity of the family in asking that donations be made to the organisation instead of 
getting flowers. Well, that's that. There was a, and the, so even in his even in his death, even he raises death, a lot of money for that his... money has bought computers for this organisation. I am sitting now before new computers that my students can use. I didn't have them. Yeah. Um, were you, were you were in the were you in the nineties? Honestly, they were about 10, 15 yeah. years old and they had been donated to us. Yeah. So we have now got a new computer suite. We it's totally, it's a total game changer. Else. Yeah. We, we've got a, a, another very generous um, donator who is uh, Michelle Bates, who's Barry George's sister, who had given us some money as well. So between them, they have given us you know, a fantastic, fantastic computer uh, suite for our students to use. We also have a projector. And even just that, that was obviously the and the cash thing, the, and a cash injection that you companies like... We use, needed it. You know, you just rely on it. The the thing is as well, just that video that came out just after he, after he, the, the week that he died, it, was, it went sort of kind of went viral. Yeah. That just kind of, not only that, it just gives you... Um, adds a bit of legitimacy to what you do and also just gets the word out there about who you are. Because that everyone was sharing that. And it was quite funny watching it back because people were tagging me because in the video, if you've not seen it, Jake's basically instructing <laughs> instructing bands yes, by name, by name, by name yes, to record does. a song and donate all the royalties <laughs> to he Mojo, did, which um, I'm happy to do, by the way. Just, I don't know if you'll get any royalties out of my songs, but we'll definitely need to get on that because that, that was, a, requ- that was a, a request. It was, it was, and it was something that was, you know, it, it, it was something that he felt that he could get, um, it, Involved in because I've got no, you know, I mean, I can't even hold a tune. So, you know, to get him to come and and participate, and he wanted to be so much a part of that. Um, as I say, it, it, we could do it. We got a wee compilation CD in the go. It was, you know, he, he was an absolute gentleman. And the, most of the fundraising side of things from Alabama 3 came from the after parties. The after parties. So, this is how the first time I ever heard the mojo, the first time I ever met. Yeah. Um, an Alabama 3 member and that was just randomly we heard there was an Alabama 3 after party we went to it and the Sound House was an amazing venue they have been so generous with it as I say in the time that I've been here we've so had Sound House the first was we started these parties at the Sound we House we started the parties first of all in the Counting Studios yep and um, it was absolutely fantastic, great space. But what happened was it grew, it, t- it you know, it took arms and legs and we had so many people, they'd heard what a good night it was and so many people wanted to come along because it's not just an after show, the band are there. Yeah. You know, they get up, they sing along. That blew they, my mind because obviously you know, I didn't know, I'd, I had no idea that was going to happen I, and then you see the band going on and obviously because all the crowd are fans of the band. Absolutely. It's just like a pure random it's, Four like o'clock. A big party. It's a big party. It's a big party. Impromptu jam one. sessions. Yep. Car- also, Barney in the Carrollton oh, Jug I, sessions. I can't the- thank him enough. He's amazing. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. What happened, legend. as I say, is, is it, it grew. So we went to Sound House. We did two years in Sound House. Fantastic venue. Absolutely brilliant venue. But then it shut down. Yeah. And we were like, well, we, we can't take it back to something smaller because. We've already we've opened it up to all. Yeah, these I mean, the Soundhouse was completely sold out. Absolutely, and I can't remember. I think I think was it five hundred. Four hundred. Four hundred. Because what we had to account for was that the bands, the bands give their time for free. So what we wanted to do was to allow the bands to bring somebody yeah. along because you know 
everybody there is they're so generous and giving their time. So we four hundred and the hundred was for guest lists yeah. and, and, and obviously bands. And um but it, you know, for me to now we're having it in in um Ivory Blacks, that's two hundred. So there's well, no three hundred. 200 because I've got the guest got, list uh, as yes, well. Yep. But it's 200 tickets. And, and as I say, and so that's me having to, again, half it because these great venues have gone. Yeah, so because we've lost, we're just talking about that off. off River. So yeah, there was River. So mm-hmm. we, did, that was the, we, we, we were lucky enough to play in Alabama mm-hmm. 3 after mm-hmm. party at River. And that was a big deal to us. Absolutely. We were like, we were playing in Alabama 3 after party and also we're getting to support Mojo. And... Yeah, your river, river's gone. I mean, that, that we've just looks like the art school's on its way as well. Gone, that, that'd be a terrible it. loss. Yeah, ABC's gone, and SWG three's just basically to get because SWG three's got the small venue, the bigger yeah. one. So and we're it's just great, but it's up. too far for if they're doing um, a gig in the Barrowlands. Yeah, that's too far for people yeah. to go. Now I had approached the Archies, yeah, and they were kind of thinking about having it or not having it because they have got two of those arches that they're not using. Uh, so, yeah, technically they could have a private they, event. And that was how it was going to be yeah. sold because, and, you know, as an over-18s, yeah. there's, and that is, we stress that, it's an over-18s party. Um, so, but, unfortunately, they didn't get back to me Yeah, it's, it's, it's too and, risky for them, and I think. And then we've, we've, we've went to Ivory Blacks Ivory you know, Blacks is a fantastic well, do you know what? We're, we're doing, we've played our first ever gig there on a Black Friday 10 mm-hmm. years ago. I'm getting my wee plug in there, I'm sorry. Good, <laughs> but no, a, go so 10, but, but just 10, we've not played it for 10 years, but I just thought, I just happened to email them and said, have you got a Friday, in this, a weekend in December, and they had exactly the same date. So it's Black Friday, back at Ivory Blacks. And that's the week after your show, Ivory Blacks. I've not been to Ivory Blacks in ages, and it's all two exactly, buses at once. Exactly. So are on. And I would have loved just to play your after show, but obviously, we just having we'll your. We'll maybe do something. Your, you know, we'll do something, other, we'll get involved in and a way. That's it. Listen, the fact that you are there yeah. and your support, that's all. That's enough. So, for us. can you just, just to plug that properly? What, so, the Alabama 3 is in the 14th? It's the Alabama 3, they are at the Barrowlands. Uh, and the 14th of December, it's sold a Saturday out. night. That's that sold, is out. sold you out. You can't get a ticket for that. Not, not for love and money. And we are hosting the after show party at Ivory Blacks. That starts at 11 o'clock until 4 o'clock in the morning. Whoop. <laughs> and the tickets are £10. They are going extremely. Extremely fast. It always sells out. I, it's so, I mean, so I've got no get... doubt that it will sell out. As I say, the capacity this time is 200. See, I didn't know that Ivory Black still had the, the club licence because I've actually arranged an after party in another club. Mm-hmm. I went and watched a curfew and they told me 11 o'clock. So I didn't, I think they were just assuming I was talking about gigs. Mm-hmm. So now um, I've booked a vent. I've booked. Yeah, you could else. have had them before. For the month of December, they've got the licence to ah, four o'clock. Yeah. And it's we've, got, just we've, got, we've got a 4am licence for our, our after party anyway. Mm-hmm. But Uka's okay, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it means we can kind of promote that as a separate club now. That's a separate as a thing. Aye. Do you know what Aye. I mean? Definitely. So, um, yeah, it'll be fine. So, this, um, so we've, we've covered it. We've covered 
that's the part. It's just, is there any um, memories of Jake that you'd like to share any that spring to mind? Because remember, we did do, <laughs> we didn't get that one. No, we didn't get the one, but the square sausage. No, we... <laughs> My memories of Jake is, as I say, he was an absolute moocher. He was a grubber. He liked his food. And um, God, could that man eat? But when I used to go down and see him in London, he was a him and my friend Lucy got together and um, I would go down and visit them and stay with them. I would be going down there with half the butchers in a suitcase and very little clothing. And there would be Jake, Freddie, receive, oh, that's great, hen, this, that and the other. And by the way, Lucy's vegetarian. <laughs> so there would be Jake. I'd wake up in the morning to the smell of the sausages and the stornaway black pudding and everything else. And I had to take him six Morton's rolls as well. And there would be, I'd go into the kitchen and Jake, are you all right, hen? In Lucy's dressing gown, and Lucy, as I say, is a very slim, small woman, and Jake was a big guy, so it left little to the imagination. There would be him standing there, frying everything up. He would sit down at the table, start eating it, and wouldn't he say, if you get a mouth in your head, I had carried all that stuff and never get any of it. So he was, as I say, he was great. But he, he took me... And showed me London. You know, it was it was a see that's I think you, lived need, there. you need that if you're going to London, I think Absolutely. Well, you need to, to be honest, going to any city, it'd be great if every city you went to you had a, someone oh, knowledgeable listen, to show you, but you see the Buckingham Palaces, you 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 know, you you see everything that you're that you know, Trafalgar Square, see all that. But he showed me a different side yeah. of it. He showed me the London that he lives in. Yeah. And that was fantastic. Deep knowledge of music and politics Absolutely. and history and he stuff He was like that. so well read. Him and I, we liked poetry. That was where we kind of connected with that. He was self-taught. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about him. He was self-taught. He had a wealth of knowledge that he... He just soaked everything up. He just that he was also, it. He also um, he man, he managed to scam movies. everyone. For, oh, he did. <laughs> he did. People still think he's American, like, you know what I mean? Ah, yeah. when, he, when he passed, people were like, oh, I heard about Reverend dying. That's a shame. That, that's an American guy. And yeah. it's like, no. How do you, because people are just confused. Like, how did they, did they live in Glasgow, the American guy? Do you know what I mean? So. He was a proud Glaswegian. Um, he loved this city. He loved when he came home. And I mean, he had friendships with people that he'd had for as a boy, and he yeah. retained them. Yeah. Um, he never forgot where he came from. Yeah. And I'll say that for him. Um, Jake was a man of the people, and um, I miss him desperately. And uh, it won't be the same without him. But the band, you know, they'll go on and well, they'll be a I different think, band. I mean, I think that the but the way you said it's not going to be the same with them without him. I think this one is going to be a special one because I think the Falkirk one was too soon after it, and mm-hmm. the Barrowlands is going to be sold out. And I don't know how they're going to, I don't know how they're going to do. It, but I'm, I'm sure they've got it. They'll have something up their sleeves. It's a Glasgow gig. Yeah, it's it's he's not there, but it's bringing him home. Yeah, um, and it will be very emotional. Yeah, it will be very emotional. Um. Because I, it is, although he's not there, it's bringing Jake home. Yeah. It's the last gig. Yeah. And, and it, is it true that they've never played the Barrowlands? They, pay, they did. They played or, the Barrowlands for the, I got them there for the Clutter. Oh, right. Of course. So, of course. Um, yeah, I, right. I, 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 I organised them to play right, the Clutter. Yeah. Thing, okay. Yeah. That kind of makes sense why someone's got mixed up because someone said that. But what, what they probably meant is, is that 
as as far as Alabama three tours go. Yeah, they've never done it. No, always a, I, they've always done the academy or, yeah. The, yeah. or the ABC. Yeah, but they did do the the Clutha. They were, you know, right, and yeah. that was something again that was, um, you know, quite close to to. Yeah. Um, Jake's heart as well was the uh, yeah he was, he was straight to get right, involved absolutely and that absolutely. was that was one of the first times I'd actually seen him drop the the act for the cameras if you oh, know what absolutely, I mean absolutely because like just like because normally when the cameras want me we'll put on a bit oh, of oh guy you know, like to be the showman yeah and as I say that would go in my nerves because you know you he put this act on and that but the real person he was vulnerable you know he he was. Um, he was vulnerable. Yeah. And we'll just say that and no more. Um he had his problems and yeah. um and he had that behind that mask. But when you got to know him, he was a great friend. And as I say, um when I had my stroke, he was a great strength to me. He phoned me constantly to see how I was doing. Sometimes incoherent, sometimes all right. <laughs> and as you, as you had said earlier when we were talking, long phone calls. Yes, very really long, long phone, phone calls. calls. Very long but, phone um, calls. Yeah. Um, so is is there anything that they, if the listeners want to help with Mojo, how can they? So first of all, you can help by buying a ticket for the gig, which is on the 14th of December at Ivory Blacks. Absolutely. But is there anything else they can do? Listen, anybody, if you go to our webpage, there's a donate button, whether it be 50 pence, a pound, just anything at all would help go out and spread the word that miscarriages of justice do happen you know don't turn around and say oh they get away with it because they do happen um maybe you come into could happen to you aye it could it could be you or somebody in your family um and that you know that is the most important thing come into the office find out more you know, yeah. do a bit of research. I'm happy to talk to anybody about what we're doing. We're no some guerrilla outfit. I'm doing this job because it needs to be done. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, oh, thank you very much for your time, Cathy. No problem. All right. Thank you. Thank Bye. You. Bye. Thank you, Cathy. And yeah, so once again, 14th of December, Ivory Blacks, raising money for Mojo and a tribute to Jake. It should be quite a, a a special night so get involved if you can and um, now do you, do you think i'm just going to play you a wee song before we before we go into the interview this uh the last request i got from jake he was always you know he'd sometimes have very long phone calls or you'd send you a wee facebook message out the blue and um the last message he sent me was Hold on, I'll just get it word for word. It was an artist called Riley James, and he says, please share if you can. It would mean loads to me. So that was kind of his last request to me. So I thought I'd play you a song that Jake wanted me to share. So I thought I'd share it with you. And it just gives you an example of how much Jake was into music. I mean, the first time I ever seen Jake was I was backstage at Wizard Festival many, many years ago. I was... Uh, somehow blagged it as a, a journalist, inverted commas. And I didn't actually speak to Jake that day because I was a wee bit starstruck by Alabama 3 and Happy Mondays stoning about. And he was just standing by the side of the stage from one o'clock in the afternoon watching all the local bands. He was so into new music and he was always into sharing what new music he'd found with you. And I found out at the funeral that there was loads of people that had heard of my band, the Gyro Babies, because Jake had been 
telling people about us and you know just little things like when they've been asked in the press whether they make a, any good Scottish music coming out it would try and drop our name in there which obviously means a lot to us as a kind of sort of underground band that doesn't really get any press really at all so yeah I thought it was the right thing to do is just just to this is what he asked me to do it would mean a lot to me if he shared it so this is Riley James I hope you enjoy it Devil don't mind if I play with you tonight Haven't felt the sun is shining And this poisonous blood, it ain't doing no good Got a dark cloud hanging over me And I hear you laughing behind my door Hear laughing, can't take it anymore And I feel your eyes burning deep in my soul Burning a hole right through me And like a blind man I yearn for sight to see All the beautiful things that surround me But I'm stubborn, I'm cold And I keep going old morning time In this concrete desert Tonight I don't mind Resting the clay A thousand people wouldn't chase us away because one more drink might kill the pain One more pill and I'll feel no more shame Love me as I go, don't you mourn for me Dance on my grave and spill your whiskey Cause the wind will keep blowing The times they will change Broken hearts will mend and we'll meet again someday Whenever I met him, all, all, all he told me was uh, stuff to look out for. He, re- he reaffirmed my belief in what I do uh, and gave me loads of stuff to read. He, uh, uh, just, just a, 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 a any, co- book, any books that stand out? F- f- just switch so on to fucking Nietzsche and stuff like that. Just reading fucking reading stuff that, that made you think, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and at the back of that, uh, would always just poke me for, a, for an answer or for a... a just... A wealth of knowledge and a fucking massive heart, you know what I mean? That was that was Jake Black. And thank you to Riley James for sending in the song. In fact, I'll say a couple of thank yous before I introduce Jake Black himself for the interview, which is coming up very shortly. Thank you to Joe Bowen. Thank you to Kev, who contributed, you just heard there. Thanks to... Kathy from Mojo for talking to us. 
Thank you to more famous for mastering the audio, and, th- and thanks to Goldie who helped master the Cathy interview as well. Special thanks to my famous who's done 15 episodes with me. I don't make it easy for him all the time. I'm literally learning how to record, how to edit, and he's been a great help. And biggest thank you goes to all the Patreons who support the show. Really wouldn't be able to do it without all the Patreons. We're up to 71 this month, which is absolutely amazing. No sponsors, no adverts, just you guys. So thank you very much. If you if you do want to sponsor the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash you call that radio and you can donate a couple of pounds a month if you if you can afford it. That, that's much appreciated. And we're working on some bonus content and we'll enter you into a raffle. We like a raffle. So you could potentially win some free stuff as well. So shout outs to all the Patreons. And make sure you go to Jake Black's Tribute Night on the 14th of December. Jake Black Tribute Night at Ivory Black's and raise some funds for Mojo by having a good wee dance. So hopefully see you at that. And if I don't see you at that, I hopefully see you at Ivory Black's again the following week. Gyro Babies are going back to Black's on Black Friday. We played our first ever gig in Black Friday 10 years ago at Ivory Black's and that's exactly what's going to happen again the 20th of December. We've got support from the Twistettes, Mog's new live band. Mog's an absolute genius. He's got a new live band called The Ducks, so that'll be amazing. And then we're having an after-party audio to celebrate a decade of decadence. We're having the decade dance. And I was just thinking, we could just play the best music from the last decade, from 11 to 4 in the morning. And then I had an even better idea. Why don't we play all the music from all of the decades? And that's exactly what we're going to do when we're famous, Grace Clones, The Wise Goldfish, Joe Dark, Jackal Trades All-Stars from 11 to 4. And yeah, hopefully see you at, at those things. Now, just the final thing I want to say before I introduce the very Reverend D. Wayne Love is there was something that he said in the... In the in the podcast, the interview about here is about happy accidents and how that affects art and how, you know, something, a random mistake can create something beautiful. And I actually nearly called this podcast Happy Accidents because I thought, oh, maybe it's a happy accident. He mentioned that and maybe I should call the podcast Happy Accidents because this podcast didn't have a name when I interviewed Jake. This was literally the first day of interviews that I did. It was him and Lucy I spoke to and I didn't have a podcast name at the time and but now I'm very grateful that we did have the happy accident of getting a chat before he passed away and hopefully his voice will bring comfort to any of the friends fans family members and and if you don't if you didn't know Jake then you're about to you're in for a treat an absolute character a blagger a genius and there's no American accents here this is a postal boy talking politics talking funny stories from being on the road. And, you know, I've had, I just had many happy memories with Jake. Everything, he, probably my favourites when he joined us on stage at the Barrowans when we did a cover version of Louis Armstrong and that, that went into the Jerry McHale song that we do. That was a, that was a, a funny moment. And it meant a lot to us just to, to have him on stage with us. And he did loads of DJ sets for us as well. He played the Loch and Boat Party, played raves, afters, parties and stuff. So, um, yeah, many happy memories, and it's obviously a bit sad listening back to this interview, but it also gave me a good wee chuckle, and I hope it does the same for you. It's an absolute pleasure and an honour 
to introduce the very Reverend D. Wayne Love. Brothers and sisters, may the peace that can only come from the one God be upon you. We are here to tell the people that we hear you. One God will not allow us and people of conscience to lose our morale. We see the crimes of this government, how they support every dictator and criminal on this earth. Sometimes you can deal down. You getting a level on me? Yep, yep. You're all good. It's good. Okay, so we are live from the icebox in the Gorbals, and it's an absolute honour to be sitting across the table from the Reverend D. Wayne Love. How are you doing, Mark? I'm very well, mate. How's you? Brand new, good, very good. Aye. So back been in Glasgow, as you know. Yeah, well, you're, you're where are you based? I think I'll move up here. I've been looking at igloos all day. Very nice. So you are um, obviously just to introduce you to the. How, how would you? How would you? In fact, you introduce yourself. What, what do you do? I'm Reverend D. Wayne. I do. Uh, uh, I'm in Alabama three. Uh, normally, I don't speak like this. Of course, Alabama three is a pantomime, as you well know. But, <laughs> An uh, acid country. Uh, yeah, that's right. Country house. Country house. Or, or yeah, yeah, uh, you know. Uh, Little acid house on the prairie. That's <laughs> the best description I've ever heard. The Alabama three. As I said, I take it you're back in Scotland because you're playing. Uh, yeah, I, I was up, uh, you know, doing DJ sets. Thank fuck this time I didn't. Excuse me. Thank, thank goodness this time I didn't uh, collapse with pneumonia. <laughs> yeah, well, that's just right. You you played the Twisted's after party, yeah. and then was that that night? Yeah, three years know? later, it was. Um, and Queen Elizabeth Hospital, yeah. And that was pneumonia. Three days later, I woke up, and my sister's in tears, you died. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm back, sorry. <laughs> so you actually, you died? Yeah, I did, for nearly a minute. And it was interesting, I'll tell you. Did you get the light at the end of the tunnel yeah, thing? No, I didn't, I got a Kafka thing, Mark. I, got, I found myself in this huge office in what appeared to be something like Whitehall. Huge, big office with these big, long... Corridors and I uh, walked through the corridors and I got in this big room, looks like miles of it, and it was just you know, pigeonholes in the walls, and I couldn't find my forms. Couldn't find my forms. So then I woke up. Yeah. But I don't know if I was dreaming or I was going to the place and I just didn't get as far as the light because, you know. You whoever, didn't have your forms? Well, whoever, whoever, whoever was. Whoever was working on the other side the data's obviously cut backs on the other side, so, <laughs> you know. It's a stereo effect in the early uh, yeah, gates. Right. So, yeah, so, you know, you, you, you wait to go up to heaven, you might have a bit of a wait because, uh, yeah, they, they, they've, they, they've got to suffer the cuts just like we have. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, so back up, and uh, I've, I've been recording up here with David's Rudden doing it, uh, Carlton. Um, all some, of a sudden, David Rudden? Yeah, all Rudden. of a sudden, no, yeah. I mean, he's completely—he's completely off the chart, baby. I've known David since we were kids, and he's kept—he's kept all his texts. He's, you know, it's, some of the racks he's got are like should be in the Victoria and Albert and things. Now, I mean, and they're perfect now. So we've been running a lot of his old tech and just looking at it again. And I've been, I've been doing a lot of analog things. And, yeah. you know, I've been so doing things uh, so of digital, you know. So David was, uh, he was obviously in America for a while. He was part yeah. of the, the New Jack City hip hop oh, movement. Uh, yeah, yeah. David produced Heavy D and the boys produced you know, various sort of fuss and sound generation hip hop 
people uh, on the East Coast. So is there a hip-hop vibe to the stuff you're recording with just now? No, the stuff we're recording now is for a film about, uh, ostensibly about a guy called uh, Professor Guy Standing. Guy Standing's a guy who's written a book recently, a couple of books, uh, one called Basic Income and How to Achieve It, and the other one's called The Precariat Manifesto, which basically discusses uh, how... You know, we've come to this situation now where uh, people don't have uh, working contracts, people uh, don't have any stability, so everybody's position is precarious, not just as artists, but basically in the workplace. And so, you know, she's making a film about that, and also about the burgeoning uh, the new unions outside the Trade Union Congress block. I mean, there's, there's a, a whole sort of movement of disenfranchised people uh, moving, moving towards uh, setting up their own unions and... Uh, then, you know, once they've got a reasonable size number, they go to the TUC and try and rebuild the block in order for they make the block more effective inside the Labour Party uh, in order if you sort of, you know, try and uh, counter what's happening in Parliament, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. And I, I'm, I'm, this is all being done gratis. And the, the, the woman who's making the films, a woman called Lucy Fison, has made some very good films before. And uh, she's on the cusp line of finance, and so we, we hope that goes ahead. So I'll be coming up and down, uh, you know, from London to Glasgow uh, in the next three months, uh, just working on that. As, as we, you know, as we get the footage, we'll be tacking, you know, stuff onto it. Yeah. And see how it goes. So is it a, is it a documentary style? Yes, film? a documentary. Yeah. yeah and and it, it basically follows a guy standing and a guy standing's a advisor to John McDonald for the Labour Party. And... Uh, well, like I say, he's, he has these uh, various quite good ideas. I mean, the basic income is uh, nothing new to countries like Australia, Switzerland, uh, Sweden, Norway. Of course, uh, have a, a basic income programme in place. I mean, in uh, rich countries, like us don't have a reason not to have one. You know. uh, to, to me, it's the only way forward eventually. We're going to need to... Because as everyone blames uh, immigrants or spongers, there's always someone to blame. Yes. And the reality is, is that in my opinion, it's just automation's taking everybody's jobs yeah. and there, there is no jobs replacing them. The robots are replacing the jobs. So going long term, if we want people to have... Uh, I think that a lot of people are being... I don't realise they think that their job's safe, but eventually the robots are going to be able to do... Yeah. Automation's going to do a lot of these jobs that, yeah. that we take for granted. Well, what Standing says is, uh, is quite clear about in the Precariat Manifesto is that no one's position is safe. Everyone's position is precarious. Yeah. You know, for, for the very reason that uh, you know, uh, bosses don't want you of safety. And I mean, this thing that you're talking about, uh, immigration and things, uh, I often, people, when I hear people spout off about immigration, I often say, I wish I could earn his name. Yeah. Uh, or even, or wait, wait, we shouldn't, uh, oftentimes, what's your, mother, what's your mother's maiden name? Yeah. Uh, and oftentimes you'll find that those people, uh, you know, came to this country looking for work. People are always migrating where the workers. And of course, the bosses always know to, uh, you know, keep this uh, migration up because, uh, you know, you can always undercut wages. And it's always been something that's, uh, you know, boringly obvious to me that uh, this is what, you know, this is something that comes for the top down, not for the bottom up. Mm. So you, you wonder why uh, ordinary working class people are uh, blaming other ordinary working class people for going and looking for work. Uh, when, you know, you really should be saying, well, why are the bosses undercutting their wages? Uh, they're undercutting your wages because they're bringing people in for poor countries who think that they're getting a good wage. Um, so, you know, uh, and, uh, why are you, you know, uh, taking a wee bit more interest in yourself, a wee bit more self-interest in the part of working class people wouldn't they go amiss? 
Yeah. And I think I think there's a lot of the blame goes to the media who obviously they concentrate. Yeah. And, and, and for a, and for a lot of working class people, especially if they're just trying to put food on the table, they're working yeah. all these right. underpaid jobs. They don't they don't have the time to read up on all no, the facts. They so maybe just get a wee glance at the, the front page headline, and it's always be scared of the immigrant or, well, or, be, right. or be pissed off at the, the spongers who are apparently on yeah, the, right. well, and if you actually talk to people that are unemployed or on benefits they're having a really tough time and there's no there's no um, there's no reality that the media spins is nothing like what's actually happening no. in the streets and it's like you say you know people don't have the time so they look at they look at things you see what's around them you know like you say uh, so you know so called pay, you know newspapers you know uh, TV, uh, you know, which is becoming more and more polarised, more, more, more and more propagandistic, and um, uh, more and more sort of obviously biased towards, uh, you know, the uh, technocrats' position. And uh, again, you know, say uh, people are, are struggling, so say it's, it's, it's a question of, isn't it, of convenience? It's easier to believe it than actually go sort of rooting about and looking at seeing what the problem is. Yeah. So, you know, all you get is you just keep, 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 keep on keeping on and you just try to make people aware of it and hope that they all look at alternative media and, and look at alternative sources and maybe spend 15 minutes instead of 10 looking at yeah. these things, you know. And the problem we've got, though, with that is, is that with the, we're all trapped in our own wee algorithm bubble. So if you're, if you're liking certain articles, then the, your Facebooks and your Twitter, Everyone's going to send you more articles uh, like that. Yeah. So if you're already if you're already got an opinion that the immigrants are to blame, unfortunately, you're trapped in that bubble yeah. where you're just going to get fed yeah, that stuff. Right. And whether whether that's a um, deliberate by design, it, it's, I mean, I think my opinion is it's all about money. So I think that they just want to sell advertising. Yeah. So they want to just feed you more articles that, that they think that yeah. you'll respond to. Yeah, that you know, and it is by design, Mark. I mean, and this is no new. This is something uh, uh, Walter Lippmann, uh, the PR man for. You know, um, Calvin Coolidge, uh, you know, through to, you know, uh, Woodrow Wilson and others, you know, in the 20s said, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, one class people get, could get out of hand. We, we, we can't just continue to use violence against them. What we have to do now is find a way of manufacturing their consent. And uh, this is something that's, uh, men are said, they're manufacture public consent through... Uh, our manufacturing concern rather through public relations is something that's known as since a hundred years old now. So, uh, like you say, I mean, and, and these have become based on, you know, algorithms and really, you see, so you find yourself in a, uh, you know, a, 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 a vicious circle, um, you know, a, a wee flow uh, where, you know, you're just going to be fed the info that suits the advertisers. So and, people and have to you, find you, a way you, of looking outside the box. And if you, and if you come out with an opinion, it, it'll be that'll be that fits that that that, alg- that algorithm. It's going to go to the people that agree with you, so they're going to like it. So in your little bubble, you think everybody's thinking that's the right. same thing. That's right, and that's why you're getting such a a shock between left shock yeah. culture between left and right, or a uh, misogynist and ex- extreme feminist, because everybody in their world is like, well, that's unthinkable. And then in the real world, it used to be that we'd all have different opinions, but you wouldn't hate someone just because. They, they were a wee bit different. Uh-huh. They, 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 they had their own reasons for it. But I think everybody's becoming more extremist in their in their views. Oh, yeah, I think things are becoming a wee bit more... I, I, I'd rather become more polarised, and this may well be a day with digitisation, and uh, like you say, you know, people, uh, uh, what they look at, they, you know, especially through social media and through, the, through their phones, uh, people are, you know, hardly looking at paper media anymore. So, you know... Um, 
you know, these are things that folk are going to work. The folk have just got to start looking at the boats in order to find alternatives for themselves to be able to uh, live it. And what, what I would like to see people do, I mean, is establish a wee bit more a currency of self-interest. I mean, the, the, the bosses have always had their interests at heart. And, uh, so it always amazes me when people look out for the bosses' interests other than their own. And, uh, you know, so but all you can do is just keep plugging away. I mean... You know, we we have a hard enough time uh, working ourselves, you know, and keep keeping work going. We we uh, musicians like us are all part of the precariat. You know, you know uh, musicians have always worked under zero hours contracts and everything anyway. And you know, you know, it, it can take you ten, twelve, fifteen years to get any kind of paperwork done between you and uh, someone else, regard to selling your work or get, you know uh, getting your work out there. So you know, and and this is the outside again. Yeah, doing things you know in house and you know selling to your sort of uh, little audience you know, in order for it to get things out into the wider world you have to be able to use that apparatus and that your apparatus has become more and more manufactured and more and more tailored to a very very narrow audience you know <laughs> even though it looks as if it's proliferating and, and growing exponentially it's not it's actually going inwards why do you think it is that the majority of people do what you said about the, the look after the boss's interest do you think we're getting a little bit of the the American, the United States uh, concept of we think that we are going to be we're, we're millionaires and waiting that we are going to be successful eventually we will be those guys. I, I think there's that. I also think it's uh, a big element of fear. I think you know uh, people are. You don't uh, want to lose people, what you've yeah, got. People are worried about you know losing what they've got. I mean, yeah, you've seen this, seen this with resurgence in a uh, like massive resurgence in uh, you know race intolerance, for instance. I mean, you didn't see that degree of intolerance twenty years ago because there was a little more economic security, yeah. and the more and more uh, you know economic security becomes again uh, using the word precarious, then the more and more uh, you know uh, people become frightened. And people's pick, you know, uh, you know, become covetous and you know, covet their, covet their position, covet the little economic security they have, and uh, you know, uh, as you said earlier, go looking to blame cast. So you but know, long term, uh, that's not sustainable. As uh, you know, and it's not sustainable. And of course, you know, we're we're in the we're right on the cusp line now. Another crash like two thousand and eight, and this time uh, we may well not come back for it. Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, other countries are preparing for this in other ways. I mean, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but on Saturday, Sweden tied itself to a cryptocurrency. Sweden is the fourth biggest economy in the world, and it's tied itself to a cryptocurrency you now. And more and more countries are uh, probably you know, getting its, uh, the petrodollar now. The Americans don't like that. So now we're seeing really vicious attacks, uh, the most current one being the attack on Venezuela. Yeah. Whatever anyone tells you about Venezuela, uh, you know, Gaido wasn't he? Not even 20% of Venezuelans knew who Gaido was in December. Uh, you know, uh, the, the Americans have been attacking that state since, uh, you know, it's since, since, since uh, uh, the, the election of uh, Chavez in 2002. And uh, there have been three attempts at a coup there since. And now they're going to actually go in there militarily. They, they will be doing that soon, and uh, we're seeing now we're seeing uh, co- co- the corporatocracy jackbooting all over the world. What I would do is uh, direct people to have a look at uh, rather than you spend ten minutes on YouTube. Uh, I would just be able to spend t- ten minutes on YouTube having a look at Noam Chomsky and Chris Hedges, and maybe instead of go to the Daily Record page, go to Truth Dig, go to the Canary or something like that, and look at uh, other other sources of uh, news. And, and uh, you know, uh, basically, when you're looking at the news, uh, you know, uh, take three or four sources and then weigh them up and then balance them and. 
then you may have Mary, uh, you know, you, you may have uh, Mayor uh, of a perspective uh, uh, on what your own opinion actually is, rather than just having it foisted down your throat. Yeah, I did, which is I, what most people have got. Yeah, I mean, I did. I did. Do, I went through a phase of doing that. I'd watch. I'd start the day by watching BBC News, mm. then watch Fox News for a laugh, <laughs> and then watch <laughs> Russia Today. And obviously, they've got their own propaganda at play. But when you um, when you when you watch maybe five or six different news sources, you can usually work out where the truth is somewhere in the middle, just based on the language that's getting used because. The, the, these propaganda industries aren't, they're quite good at not lying specifically it's about what they don't say or the way they word things so as but, but sometimes you need a break from that as well I wouldn't advise doing it every day because um, it can be quite it can be quite a depressing scenario yeah. but it's good to be educated in what is actually happening mm. And uh, so I look forward to this film. So you're hoping a wee bit of finance and maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe some point this year, maybe. Yeah, and if like, you know, and um, yeah, she already talked to various people, uh, some of the unions, and uh, she's on the cusp of again financing. But the financing doesn't come through. We will make the film anyway. Yeah. Um, and we'll get we'll drum up the financing, uh, you know, through the various. Uh, you know, through crowdfunding and these other things, and we've already got the, the developments come out of that. And, that, and that's the positive side of the internet these days, as, as it stands at the, the moment. How long does it stand for? Distribution, yep. in order to get to, 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 to big distributors where you can get the film seen, then you have to be financed through the correct channels in order for them to pick it up. And it has to look, you know, everything's about the way things look. Now. Yep. But to go back to what we were talking about, uh, you know, people uh, being propagandized, I mean, the good thing about, uh, you know, these various uh, so called news sources is. That you can go in there and look at the text and mine the actual data, and then you can see the data, and then you can go back and look that and compare that. And in one news feature or one news program, maybe an hour long, you may get a one and a half minutes, two minutes of data. You know, and it's the data that you can mine. It's no the opinion because uh, you get one minute of data and fifty nine minutes of your opinion. Now, they, people's opinion don't mean shit. But, uh, you know, it's the data that matters. And once you start looking at the data, you can start seeing, you know, you can start seeing patterns and you can start sort of doing something about it. Yeah. So, I, you know, that, that's really the, the, the thing that people can be looking at because, I mean, this is the, this is the upside, you know, a, a using the, the internet and social media. As, you know, it's unmediated yeah. to, to, to a great extent and that these people have mostly got a proprietary handle on it. But to, to a certain degree, they, you know, there has to be an element of... Of, of truth in it, that is, and the, the, the truth is, is the data that can be mined for it. So people just got to take out, you know, you, you, you got to force yourself to give yourself another 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like you say, you know, you, people knocking their pan in at work, they're coming in, you, you're on the back to put a feet up, you, you know, you take another half an hour, you can really sort of arm yourself with the information you need. So, you know, see what happens. I mean, they, you know, I, this is not, like I said, this is nothing new. I mean, generationally, people are, you know, the, the country's always in flux and it's always sort of, you know, in the, the throes of this precarious balance. So, but, but now, I think, you know, we might be an interregnum similar to what we were at in the 20s and 30s. So, we were... fascism on the rise. Yeah. We're recording this on the 31st of January. Not sure exactly when this is going to be out, but mm. we. this is the day after uh, the, the, the House of Commons is just as a vote getting into some Brexit chat quickly. Um, they just voted for Theresa May to go back to the EU to renegotiate, and they've already said multiple times they're not going to negotiate well. I mean, what, what is going on there? Well, that's, an, that's a ham-fisted attempt at sleight of hand. I mean, uh, you know, you wouldn't see Darren Brown going out there. Is it know. just running down the clock, yeah, do you well, think? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's running down the clock, and, uh, you know, and uh, Theresa May 
1922, that's what Graham Brady, in the 1922 committee, the 1922 committee historically have a terrible record. Uh, you know, um, the, the whole point of this is, is to run the clock down and to see debt deregulation through. This, you know, uh, as we're seeing in, in America, you know, you've seen the American administration when uh, Donald Trump came into power. Uh, you know, he immediately put people into office, like, for instance, Scott Pruitt in the EPA, Betsy Duvall in the education. These are people that are in there to ruin those offices. You know, Scott Pruitt's, uh, you know, um, record on you know, environmental protection is uh, terrible. He caused earthquakes in Oklahoma by allowing mass, you know, massive fracking programs, you know, uh, Tulsa nearly fell into the, you know, the abyss. Um, Betsy DeVos, of course, everybody knows who she is. Uh, you know, these people are not interested. They're interested in dismantling government so that we can have complete deregulation, no buffer between, you know, the market and, you know, and the businessmen, a completely free market economy. And uh, then, of course, when you have deregulation, you, you have no balances, you have no checks, no slays, and very, very quickly, you know... Uh, the, 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 whatever safety and whatever, you know, um, you know, whatever security you have in place very quickly goes to the wall. It's very simple and it's very easy to see. This is about deregulation it's about, and it's about the bosses being able to have a completely, you know, complete control over the marketplace <laughs> without any legislation interfering. Do you think, would, would you be more inclined to be pro-Brexit if it was... Some leaders in charge that you trusted to get breakaways from you. You know the difficulty with being pro Brexit is, is, is extricating ourselves uh, administratively. Fair, uh, you know Brussels. I mean, we have uh, there's been a, a massive delay in uh, the inception of new new uh, social security programs, for instance, universal credits broken down and all that. And part of the reason for that is because the bureaucracy has been switched over uh, to administrating these, you know, the, the, the uh, exit for the, the common market. Now, uh, now uh, we're, we're, almost, you know, we're almost at the deadline and we've got absolutely no further. They were only able to state in December what they, they, they actually understood what Brexit meant. And then, of course, they came back and says, well, it doesn't it appears that we don't really understand it. And, of course, Juncker and the rest of them are saying, well, yes, you don't, because, uh, you know, you've made your deal, you've made your bet, you've got to rely on it. And of course, uh, for uh, us here in Scotland, where uh, you know we we, we understand the uh, perils of sectarianism, um, and that is the that is a major issue, you know, to, to bring back the border uh, in, in Ireland, because uh, you know, as you know, uh, the war has never been properly resolved, even though the you know the, the headway that uh, Mr. Adams and Mr. McGuinness and others, uh, along with the British government, have made since 1998 in the Good Friday Agreement, has been. Incredible. We're about to lose all that. We're about to lose all that because it's very easily undone, and it's concerning. And I think a lot of people in 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 London understand how serious this actually is. Uh, I don't. I I, you know. Or maybe they just don't care. No, I no. You know, they have. uh, You know, they they have thought that. Oh no, you're talking nonsense. No, no talking nonsense. I mean, the real IRA is the real IRA is a real thing. There was a bomb went off in Derry City two weeks ago, and that was uh, that was the real IRA. That was the, the continuity group. And there are two divisions of these people waiting over the border. I mean, that's 20,000 men. And they're committed. And they're a 400-year-old army. This is no boys uh, driving a motor into, you know, policemen uh, stood outside Parliament or poor folk uh, making their way home at a train station at night. These are uh, trained, committed people that are in a, in a historically, you know, um, uh, you know, proven army. It's a very, 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 very... Uh, it's a very frightening situation. Yeah. Do, do you have any... Um 
positive hopes. Do you think there's any way? How, how can we? How can it go well? I yeah, well yeah, I do, I do because you know uh, everywhere I go, you know you you uh, I, I kind of uh, you know uh, I have a you know a, a belief in people, and uh, you know I I, I I I I tend to think kind of in the same way as Rousseau did that you know uh, people are uh, innately quite good, and uh, you know and. Uh, and, and and I, I don't go along with it. There's a whole idea that the environment makes us, and you know, and we can break out of our environment. I mean, you and I are working class people, for, you know, Paul and Postle. You know, uh, we have we have a frame of reference, and we we're able to debate. We 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 don't, you know. So you know, we 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 can see both sides of things. So this is this is you know, something that's just difficult. So I I think people are uh, perfectly capable of screwing it on, and 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 uh, they, they, you know that uh, as they're pushed. A bit further and further, you know. You, you may well see uh, what appears to be reaction rate first, but then people, uh, I, as I'm seeing now with these small unions, they, they give me a lot of hope because they're they're burgeoning it uh, daily, you know. So I uh, pe- people are organising themselves, and uh, you know, and information uh, is out there, which is a big difference from right. previous generations. Yeah, because we, 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 we had to go on what the media said that's or, right. and or what somebody. It's completely mediated, completely controlled. So I knew you, you you can mind you can mind data, and that that is. Uh, you know, but it's uh, voracious, and uh, you, you you can uh, you, you can make your own, you can make your own mind up. So I, I, I I'm not I'm not I'm not pessimistic at all. I'm pessimistic about you know uh, about, certain, about certain aspects of you know the, the political process. I think that, uh, parliamentarianism in this country needs a really serious looking at because the two party system is now, as we well know, almost medieval. Well, Any other country in Europe does it. This whole first past the post thing, uh, you know, uh, what we have to start seeing now is a uh, multi-party, uh, you know, multi-party bilateral, uh, you know, cooperation. And this country can, you know, this country's got a tradition of doing that. Yeah. You know, so. Uh, I to, do you, you think? Know, I, do you think a no deal Brexit's just going to? Open the floodgates for independence. Uh, well, uh, yes, yeah, well, uh, yes. Yes, as in it, and and and, and uh, you know that's no good for you, you know, uh, because uh, that's that's even the idea of independence is even more marginalised. The idea of people thinking about and uh, things in terms of national cultural identities and uh, you know nationalities in general is there's no other way of the world anymore. You know, Scotland, Ireland, Ireland, Wales, these are no other countries. The countries are Facebook, Amazon. Google. These are the countries. These are the these are the, the these are the countries now. These are the flags people are waving. You know, uh, nationality doesn't mean anything. You know, uh, you and I are no different for somebody in Tirana. My dad used to say this years ago. You know, uh, what do you want to go play football in a new continent for? You should be playing in Glasgow. You're part of a worldwide urban proletariat. You've got me in common with somebody from Bogota and somebody from the countryside, which you know was the way that old communists used to talk. But you know, uh, the point he was making was that you know, uh, you know, people uh, that grew up in an, in an urban an urban environment are very very much like minded. I mean, you know, Levies, you know, Levies, Nike, Adidas. Facebook, these are our countries. The, you know, these are these are the signifiers of our national did cultural you, did you identity. Did you play football with Yeah, uh, I, mean, I did. Uh, for a, you know, I did play a few games. Did you play Lock and Lick? I did. Do I? Yeah, that's a tough game. I did. Do I. Greenfield Swift, really hard games. Aye. Really hard games. Uh, there's a, the rivalry between Newcomnock and Auckland West. Yeah, like, that's Indeed, uh, nice old fun look like a walk in the park. That does, doesn't do it. You know, uh, yeah, cool winning draw, right? I mean, yeah, uh, Ayrshire, uh, football in Ayrshire used to be crazy yeah, the junior, when I was a kid. They take, this, they take the junior football 
very seriously done yeah, that. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, in those days, uh, you know, the final, uh, jun, jun, you know, the games used to be, the finals used to be. So, you, so you, how long did you play football for? Did you? Uh, I, no, just when I was a kid. Yeah, I. So when did the music thing come along? Oh, for very, very early, man. Yeah. Very, very early. Um, you know, where, where, where we're sitting now, here in uh, the Garbos, uh, my mother used to just live along at the end of Cumberland Street. It used to be called the Oatlands, uh, Tory Glen Road. And when I was a kid, I was along there. It was Christmas. My mother and her friends were having a drink up and Christmas top of the pops was on. And I remember this guy coming to it. It was Jimi Hendrix. And it was one of those experiences. It sounds hallucinating. And it probably was. Uh, I remember the whole room just going quiet and me sort of almost tunneling in to this guy on the TV and just standing there agape saying, Jesus Christ, what is that? And, uh, you know, and then later, oh, you know, three months later, I played in what is now the garage. It was called the Electric Gardens then in Sucky Hall Street. And uh, I wasn't even ten, I wasn't even ten year old. This was in February or March of nineteen seventy. And I sneaked out the window and I went away down there. And I said, "Wait, my dad was sneaking." I sneaked in, I went down there, and I didn't understand why they would have let me in. It's a licensed premises, son. You know, <laughs> so I went round the back and I got in a toilet window. They found me and put me out. I remember just sitting at the back door and listening to all this noise, and I was like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, and then from then on, you know, and I started hanging about with older guys, you know, that were growing their hair and things, and, you know, sitting in the room and, Listen to records in people's houses, you know. Uh, Hendrix, so uh, Hendrix is one of the many, any other ones from that yeah, young yeah, era? Yeah, uh, yeah, the Magic, uh, Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band, Zappa, you know, uh, Zep, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, you know, Black Sabbath, all that. And, I mean, in fact, anything that came to the City Hall or the Grace Playhouse, uh, the Apollo, I would, I would go to. I mean, uh, I saw some real, saw some real howlers, you know, and, but I saw some amazing things, I know. I mean, Led Zeppelin and the Greens Playhouse, you know, um, Singing, yeah, Rolling Stones and the Apollo, uh, you know, because I mean, relatively speaking, these are the big theatres. And I mean, I remember the Led Zeppelin gig, the Led Zeppelin gig was on a Monday, and I remember the rest of the week in school, not being able to hear school teachers, I could hear empty speak. My ears were just ringing. I thought I'd have tinnitus for the rest of my life. And apparently, I heard later on that that's one of the loudest gigs ever clocked on record, you know, 115 decibel. You know, I mean, I'm lucky I left with my head. Really? Have you stopped? Have you have you ended up getting tinnitus? No, no. I've been lucky, but what I have got is, I, I mean, um, how long have you? How long has Alabama three been? Uh, Alabama for? three. We, me and Rob were talking about the day we first used that name in 1989. So it's 30 year. The first Alabama three record will be 30 year old this year. So I know. Jesus, Jesus Christ! Uh, you know, when we, you know, there was other, you know, and then there was other names there before and after that. December or something like that. Uh, sorry, again? Are you going to do a 30th anniversary uh, tour? No, I know, you know, no, because that's not strictly speaking. The, 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 you know, there was 20th, the 20th anniversary of the first Alabama 3 LP, as I rock do, because these were the, the, the first Alabama 3s were the Alabama 3s, like Alabama 3. You knew they were just house records, they were house, tech house records. Yeah. You know, which is just, we always were a sampler and a MIDI keyboard and a... So, you know, so when, when, uh, when did, you, when did the country, 1040. So when did the, the sort of the country, the whole concept that, of that, well, that, we, we always loved that, me and So what happened was uh, we would go out with the turntables and we were in South London then. This is, uh, you know, this is when the, what was called hardcore which became jungle and then drum and bass happened. You know, uh, but it was called hardcore then and all your mates were all, you know, Jamaican geezers and, 
you know, uh, Black Geezer's face, South London, and, you know, Rob and I, here's me from Glasgow, and Rob from Melville and uh, South Wales, and, you know, we couldn't do that, like a ninja, coming on strong like a ninja, you just, you know, I'm not doing that, so we used to just, Rob get a mic, and we were playing the, playing the acid tracks and the tech and then we just sing Hank, Rob, Rob, Rob and we would just sing Hank Williams numbers over it. Yeah. Chris Christopherson numbers. And, and then we, and we'd be, you know, we'd laugh, and we'd be, we'd go into say, people, we, we are, yeah, we're going to merge all these genres, you know, and then we, we, we're going to end up coming up with something that nobody's heard. And, then, and, and we'd go out and we did DJ sets. And one night, we were in Brescia, in Northern Italy, and it was in this big monastery. It was an amazing place. And it was a big, 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 big do. It was uh, during an election and the, uh, you know, they'd all these caricatures up there, Alessandro Mussolini and, you know, and that bastard bossy and, you know, the others, you know, fascist pricks over there. And, um, uh, you know, and uh, me and Robert up playing, we were playing after Chumbawamba, so the place was just full of crazy punk rockers and that. And I remember I was playing this acid track, it's called uh, Star Dancer for this series called Red Planet for Detroit. Uh, the Martian was the guy that started that you know, amazing, amazing series of records, Red Planet Records. Uh, Star Dancer, Red Planet number five. And Rob started singing me and Bobby McGee over it. And the two of us just fell laughing. We just fell pissing ourselves laughing. I mean, like acid laughing. You know, and saying, right, that's that. That's that. We know how to do this now. So then we go to uh, our mate Eddie. And he was like, Eddie, Eddie. Great with the congas and the percussion, he used to have this wee suitcase with, you know, cowbells and vibra slaps and everything in it and shakers and he'd do congas and bongos and then, so we had that in the turntables and we used to have a cassette, a TDK C90 cassette with loops on it and we'd try and get the cassette into the records, you know, and, and then eventually we got a drummer, we got Johnny and then my, my, my flatmate Orlando, the spirit, piano player, great guitar player, and then we put, and then it started turning into, a, you know, a rock, like a rock thing, like Mer- coming towards what it is now. Was there something about Berlin? Did you see something about Berlin um, in the early days? Were you in Berlin in the early days? Uh, yeah, we were all over, but yeah. mostly, uh, Alabama Tree mostly were in, uh, in northern Italy. Yeah. In uh, uh, Veneto, and uh, we used to be based in this wee town called Feltre. And we would go out from Feltre, and in, the, and in northern Italy, and this is in the early 90s. And in Italy, Italy was because Italy's always been in flux politically, and it's always very polarizing. So in Italy, in those days, there were these in the listen, little towns would have them. They were called CSOs, uh, Centro Sociale Occupazione, uh, Autogestiti. They were called. They don't. It doesn't really translate, but it just really means uh, autonomous zones. You know, where people would you get big like a place like this would be abandoned. You know, they would move in there. They would do it up. They put stages in there. They put a bar in there. They put a bookshop in there. They put meeting rooms in there, and then it was, you know, and then they would occupy them. And so you, you would go into the major cities at the weekends. We'd go into Bologna, Milan, Turin, uh, Verona, you know, uh, uh, Ravenna, like that. And you would be going into big old theatres, and you know, the, the, the biggest CSO at the time was in Milan. It was called Leon Cavallo, and it was four hundred odd people lived there. It was, a, it was a whole, it was a whole piazza. We played there with Test Department once. There was two and a half thousand people, and the piazza was half full. 
you know, it's, it was incredible. And I mean, it's like saying, it'd be 40 Pranestino in Rome, you know, 14th century fort, we are moat. The Polish couldn't get in there. They used to see the got up in the battlements and like throw bricks at the Polish. You know, it was incredible, you know. I mean, then, then eventually, you know, those places got stormed and they got closed down, but now they've started up again. You know, so that's where we started. Well, I think, I think the first time I heard the use was, um, it was the Lamac, Live, I think Steve Lamack live, <laughs> and I remember rec- I used to record uh, the with the re- tape recorder yeah, yeah. and all the live sessions because I I think I can't remember it was a, a few bands had been on it that I love but I was just obsessed with recording anything from Lamack or John Peel just just because that was the only way that you could get new music in those days you know because obviously where I stayed um, it wasn't. It wasn't a lot of new music. It wasn't people to show you new no, music. Indeed, so, I, I. so these shows were really important. There was no one on there, I, I. and. Um, I remember just recording it and I just remember just kind of being like, what is this? <laughs> you know, it was quite a, just an unusual sound. And then obviously, then obviously The Sopranos happened a, couple, a few years after yeah. that, I think. Um, but I don't know, I don't know if you remember that, Lamac Live. I don't know if it was a, I, I no. couldn't put a year on, I couldn't yeah. put a year on, it was just a recording of aye, aye, maybe aye. Brixton or something uh, like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't remember it. I mean, you know, it's... You know, so uh, how, how, are, how are things going? I mean, would you say that the, obviously you, you, you shot to international worldwide mm. fame with the, the Sopranos theme song, which I think is one of the coolest things I've ever heard in music. It just, it's, it just, I mean, because obviously there's, a, there's things, you don't want to do a Coca-Cola advert because that's selling it. Yeah. But the Sopranos for me is one of the best TV shows of all time. Uh-huh. And I, I grew up with it because yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of the last shows that I watched in and yeah, out. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the Sopranos for me, one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. And then just you have that theme song. I mean, how did that come about and how did it change your career? Oh, Good story about the, the getting the theme song of the Sopranos, eh? You know, because obviously we you have to be seriously just in to even compete, you know. Eh? So that you know, eh, the impetus for that came from Geffen Universal in America, who we were originally signed to when we did the first two LPs, eh? Excel from Cold Harbor Lane and La Peste. Um, so we had two stories. Eh? When we went to meet eh, David Chase and a couple of the actors and some of the crew for The Sopranos in New York, then Umberto's Clam House, doing a little Italy one night. You know, and we, we were talking, and he said, you know, I, I was going to have a different theme song for every episode. And one day I'm dry, I was driving into my work, and I heard this song on the radio, and I thought, Jesus Christ, this is a new conception of the blues, which me and Rob so it was, thought it was at the time. We definitely thought, you know, nobody had did a 16-bar blues for the, for the synthesizers up. You know, um, usually it's the reverse. And you put, put all the, the, you know, put all the digital on top. We did it all digitally for the bottom up. Um, anyway, she says, when I heard that, you know, I says, right, that's it. That's the song that just seems to correspond. You know, and it's interesting to correspond with a, a mafiosi's life because the songs actually, you know, we 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 got the idea for the song for a woman called Sarah Thornton. Sarah Thornton changed the law on domestic violence in this country. Sarah Thornton was a woman who spent seven years in prison for shooting her husband. Her husband was an armed policeman who used to beat her, you know, systematically every night. And one night, she just turned around and shot him with his gun. She changed the law when she was released from prison. And so we thought it was kind of ironic. And now it becomes an endorsement for mafiosi, you know, union bashers that take their neighbour's money off them. You know, but you know, so then we had David Chase, that's a nice romantic story for David Chase. But then when we were in Los Angeles, we met the music editors and they said, nah, that's just Dave and a nice romantic story. He's hitting you with the press, mate. Well, that's, that's, that's in a bidding war with four other big companies. 
you know, and uh, one week it's going to be your song, next week it's going to be somebody else's, next week you're going to be somebody else's, and then, you know, and then they just keep upping the bids, upping the bids, and Geffen Universal really wanted that. So they kept pushing and pushing and pushing, and Hughes ended up getting it. So I tend to believe the music here. <laughs> <laughs> so it depends who's asking the question. Right, 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 yeah, the the, the romantic one's quite a good story, yeah. though. And of course, me and Rob have made up many apocryphal stories, you know, because that's what you did. <laughs> Do you remember any other ones you've said? Oh, I am. Give one, Mel, then. Right, well, uh, <laughs> there, was a, there was a story, a uh, uh, guy that plays uh, Polly in The Sopranos, Tony Sirico. Uh, Tony Sirico and me, uh, I, I was uh, down in Mott Street in New York having a drink one time with my mate. Uh, Mauro Minella. Uh, me and Mauro were in a, a pub in Mott Street. And Tony Sirico was sitting in there and Tony Sirico was where you know, Tony Sirico did a seven year bit in the jail. He was where the Columbus. So uh, you know it's a nice okay, what are you boys doing? He says, Oh, you know, I'm on holiday and we get chatting and I say, oh, I'm in a rock band. He goes, Oh yeah. He says, what about you? And I, I think oh, I, I don't really need to ask you your job. I mean, I come from Glasgow, just looking at you, mate, to be honest. Don't like to cast aspersions, but you know, anyway, so like, he says, I'm an actor. He says, Aye, okay. Woody Allen movies, right? He says, Aye, that's right. Yes, I'm just, I've just done a Woody Allen movie. And uh, I'm going to do a Martin Scorsese movie. And I says, Oh, yeah, what's that? She says, It's going to be called Goodfellas. It's based on a biography of a guy called Henry Hill, uh, you know, who was with really Lucchese. I said, oh, fantastic, really. And, he, and we go to Tommy and he says, so, so, and I took him out to the car and I played him the original version of Woke Up This Morning, which was 26 minutes and was just a, a John Lee Hooker loop, uh, Mississippi Fred McDowell loop, and me and Bob Howling out of Topia, where this woman, Rasha, who had uh, been kidnapped by her voraciously religious parents and we never saw again, which is why Rob accidentally became the singer. And he says, I love that. I'm, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to tout that to be the theme song in my TV show if we get it. And uh, they, he did, they did get the TV show, and uh, you know, and then we did get it because Tony was good in his work. You know, so mafia guys' work can be good sometimes, isn't that <laughs> something? <laughs> right, we've got, we're going we're to have a wee interval here because we've got a pool table coming in. Aye, I did not take it. So we're going to get. A, I'm not a hurry. All right, cool. Well, what we'll do is we'll get another cup of tea. That's all right. It's all right. It's cool. We are. We've got. You can. We'll keep the noise in. What you hear just now. We're in the ice box. Uh, the new. Music arts venue of the Gorbals, and the sounds you hear in the background is a shutter going up and a pool table being brought in. So we'll come back in about five minutes um, after these messages. I know we said we'd be back after these messages, but there is no messages really. We don't do adverts, and you call that radio because. We're sponsored by our Patreons and we'd normally do comedy skits and some daftness, but it doesn't feel right to do comedy skits. So I'm going to phone Tom. Tom what? See if you can give me a very quick Jake story and then we'll go back to the interview. All right, man. How's it going? Good, good. Well, thanks for calling you call that radio. So, we're, we're, we're going to... It didn't feel right to do comedy skits. And we don't have... A, we don't do adverts on you call that radio. So... All right. So, it's good to hear you, Tom. Uh-huh. Uh, 
I've we're doing it so we're in the middle of the, the episode with Jake and I you've got you've got a few fun stories of Jake. Oh I certainly have. Uh, I remember one time we were talking about woke up this morning, which was probably because it was used as Sopranos theme tune. Uh, it was probably the first Alabama three song most of us heard. And he was telling me that he was at a reception uh, for the cast and crew of the Sopranos. And he went on a rant about the Mafia. He was going on about how insidious they were. He was talking about how they exploited and damaged the American trade union movement. And he happened to be sitting next to I think it was the actor that played Polly. Yeah. And Polly turned around to him and he said, hey, listen, I'm from uh, East uh, New Jersey. We don't talk about the Mafia like that. And Jake, completely unperturbed, sort of turned around and says, well, I'm the partial and I don't care a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that just summed up the guy. <laughs> that is brilliant, mate. Amazing, man, amazing. Uh, thanks for that, man. Amazing. We'll put it in the podcast. We'll put it in the podcast. Okay, that's great, mate. All right. Nice one, mate. Cheers. Thanks. Right. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Right, so we just uh, we had a wee break there as a pool table and like an arcade boxing machine, a punch bag, a digital punch bag. Uh, a punching machine has been brought in as well. So kind of to explain that ice box, we'll have a wee ice box um, tour here. You've got old arcade games, you've got a bar, but it's a bring your own bottle set up here. Um, but you can get crisps and juice there. We've got a, a nice wee stage here. Uh, they're, they're still sorting out the, the PA. But I think this is run by New Hellfire Club who encourage artists to... If, they pay tw- if you pay £25 as a musician, they'll sell all your merchandise in the record shop and you keep 100% of the profits. And um, just shout, check it out, Icebox and the Gorbals, new venue. And uh, thanks to them for letting us sit here so... Uh, Reverend, how you doing? I'm good, I'm good. So, we were just talking off there about, um, actually, hip-hop, let's just talk about uh, that. Yeah, well. yeah. So the accent thing uh, that obviously holds back the, the Scottish scene, because you, you're a fan of the Scottish hip-hop, aren't you? Oh, yeah, always. I mean, I, I mean, hip-hop, hip-hop's about the local. I mean, if hip-hop's not about the local, then it's not about anything. You know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that, uh, you know, first genesis, you know, um, you know, KRS One, Scott Rock, whatever. You know, Chuck D. You know, these these are all guys that you know sing uh, a bit, and then the accent of where they come from. So it's a bit. Of, uh, and as I was saying a minute ago, I mean, being all other world, I mean, Chinese guys, then you know, uh, Czech guys, Polish guys, you know, uh, people all other world, then it's so. You know, uh, what I get really muffed at is, oh, fuck that, that's the Proclaimers, mate. You're like, no, no, the Proclaimers are folk singers. That's just, uh, under, this is, this is hip-hop, it's unmistakable. Listen to the guy's speech, listen to what the guy's saying, listen to the way the guy's spitting. I mean, you, if you kind of get past the parochialism of hip-hop, and it is parochial by its nature, and you, you kind of see, you know... Uh, when, when, when somebody's somebody's flow, you kind of see, you know, uh, how, how they, you know, the process and the beats with their mouth, you know, because basically, you know, uh, you know, uh, flows are drum beats like scratches, you know, uh, so, uh, and then you know, coupled with 
you know, somebody that has something to say. You know, that guy Loki. You know, or a bunch of guys. You know, I mean, Glasgow's got a really lively and thriving hip hop scene. Always has. But uh, you know, uh, you know, Glasgow's always been. You know, it's, 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 Glasgow's a major metropolitan centre. You know, so you know, any kind of music that comes up is you know always made here and you know. Uh, and, and made well, and I mean, and it's, it's so actually, you actually came down to, you hosted one of our hip hop nights, remember we did the wee yeah. one in the cafe? That's right, yeah. That was a exactly, wee, yeah. yeah. And was, that know, was a people wee, come through for Ember, people come from all other places. And that, that was, and that was a very, that was a, that was a small, that was just, that was, a, that was a wee night we used to run just for the, the younger yeah. up and coming guys. And, 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 and hip hop's a real sort of shit or get after pot environment, you know, you, 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 you don't know when the mountain day hip hop, you need, you, you, you need to have something to say. If you've not got anything to say, then you very quickly, you know, uh, let, you very quickly know, and you very quickly take something else up. So, you know, I think you now that people see you know, the undeniability of the power of some of these uh, artists coming out of Glasgow and Edinburgh and, and elsewhere, you know, it's the same. I, I, I hear we read people like uh, doing Club of Clythopton in Wales and, you know, uh, like uh, Skittles and that in Manchester, you know, and uh, Little G and people like that, you know, the, if hip hop can't be about the local, then it can't be about anything. You know, I, I mean, this, this is obviously what I'm talking about. Is, uh, what, what we would prefer to is like in this sort of, you know, in the rocker sense, it did in the consciousness hip hop, you know, and not the gangster thing. Yeah. You know, the gangster thing, you know, I mean, the gangster thing's obviously not about the local, it's about, you know, the gangster nonsense. But, you know, with, with somebody that's got something to say, you know, it's, it's, got, it's you, Scottish cringe, yeah, isn't yeah. it? So, so we've got, it's like when. Yeah. You, it's the opposite of what we do. What we do is deliberately, you know, uh, designed to, 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 to be, to be pantomime esque because, you know, we were saying something different at the time, you know, so you can't do hip hop in uh, somebody else's accent. You just can't, it can't be done. Well, the, the thing you I think know. it is, is because well, there's two things that, that I think. One, you've got, we, we obviously grew up from a watching a London centric yeah. TV shows. So the only time the Scottish guy would come on the telly was his wife beater or a, or a bad guy uh, yeah. or the alcoholic yeah. or a Polish guy. And they were, and it wasn't a real Scottish accent. It was that overlay. That's right. The, the, but it was a heritage of what FP, you know. Yeah. Sounds like a, you know, sounds like a lecturer in quantum mechanics. And the guys makes son there with a bottle of Eldorado. What's that about? <laughs> so, aye, the, and uh, I think, I think, we've, I think we've got the, the cringe comes from that because we're like, oh, if you just listen to English accents all the time, and then all of a sudden the Scottish guy appears, like, oh, for fuck's sake! So I understand why people have got the Scottish cringe, but it's, it's strange because it doesn't seem to affect. As his poets, I know it doesn't. So, so when someone does a poet, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Scottish accent. It's a good thing. Or as a stand-up comedian, it's a plus. But as soon as you put a, a banging beat behind that's it, right. people, people go a bit that's weird. That's interesting. No, that's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. As soon as you do that, as soon as you musicalise it, yeah. you know, then you, then you, you seem to be, you know, you, you seem to be almost. It seems to be almost parat, parat, It seems almost to be a parody. You, you st- you, people start thinking, oh, right, this is a parody of hip hop. This is somebody taking the piss. Hip hop, yeah. you know, with a uh, hokey accent, you know. But I mean, it's essential in hip hop that people speak in the speak in the voice they have. I mean, otherwise, it's no hip hop. So well, that's it, you can. You so, but I've, I've got a couple of questions actually. I forgot about this. There was a couple of folk asked um, some questions for you. Let's try and read them. Just, I'll just read two or three out. So Petra Petra Jolly says, "Ask the Reverend if Harry the dog was one of the best guest vocalists." Harry the dog. Petra, Harry the dog isn't a vocalist. Harry the dog is Harry the dog, and uh, you know, we were in a we were in a, 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 a awfully altered state at the time. We let Harry get on the mic, and uh, uh, very very quickly we realised not to let Harry on the mic again. <laughs> and consequently, Harry is now managing the Guanachi tribe and doing a very good job. Thank you, Petra. 
<laughs> so that's that the end of that one. Yeah. Move on. <laughs> no, I say any better about Harry. You get a hoodie, man, kill me. Okay, uh, James Sweeney says that's the rev. Will there ever be peace in the valley? Uh, well, not until we get the keys to the mansion on the hill, as Bob would have it. And, uh, <laughs> and I, are you from Mary Hill, mate? You know, because uh, I, I, I hope there will be peace in the valley. I mean, the last time I was up there, it was peace in the valley because. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, because had valleys. Uh, you know, everybody. You know, I, mean, I was walking about in clouds of, you know, uh, clouds of you know, daft punk smoke. <laughs> so uh, I imagine it was very peaceable then. But uh, yes, and uh, you know, uh, and until you know, until Rob uh, gets the keys to the kingdom, there probably won't be the peace, peace in his valley anyway. And uh, you know, and, and of course. Until uh, and you've got to watch out for the fake street valleys as well yeah, these days. There may have to be a review of free prescription drugs in the valleys as well, yep. so, because uh, that may have a that may have that may have a an effect on uh, you know how the peace process goes. You know, John McKinley says, "All right, John. All right, John, legend." John McKinley says, "Ask the good Reverend about Backstreet Black and the Janglettis, I think they're called. Meant to ask him myself that." Mate of mine was telling me snippets about it. Jangalettis. Jangalettis <laughs> was a group I had with Maggie McDonald when we were teenagers when I first went to England. You know, we think of the, think of the daftest names you could. You know, we, we changed the name all the time. Uh, so, you know, Jangalettis was very short lived. But what we did do in the Jangalettis. What kind of tunes was the Jangalettis? It was, it was, it was, it was what would be categorised now as indie. <sighs> Rock, uh, Jangalettis existed for about 1978 through 81. Um, and Jangalettis actually did some very good gigs when we, we first started getting out off the ground in uh, London. You know, but it was very, very short lived. And uh, you know, it was one of those things where you would get, uh, you know, you lose uh, six months, uh, eight months without work, you'd uh, just work up your, your gyros and toss them on, you get them, print up. A thousand singles and go to pub gigs with them and sell them at the pubs, you know. And uh, but apparently, people are finding their singles now for 70 and 80 quid and all that. So I need to route about and see if I've got a box of them somewhere because they're fucking unlistenable. So it's in good you know, gigs. I guess you're supposed to show you, don't it? Yeah, I don't understand why they become collectible. Possibly more because of Kudos Maggie, Mag, Maggie's garnered for herself rather than anything me and Bob have done. But to be honest, John, I, I wouldn't even know where, I don't even know where they begin, you know. Is there, is there nothing online? Is there any evidence? Nah, nah. Nah, no, you know, hardly any of that was ever even really properly recorded. Yeah. Yeah, somebody told me, we made some videos once. Got a big old porter pack, you know, and a big old clunky camera. And I think uh, somebody might have uploaded one of them on the, the YouTube, so, so you might you be able to find it, but God, God knows what it was. You had good gigs with them, did you? Well, to, I was asking Lucy earlier on about, have, have you ever had any bad gigs? That's a silly question, but what's, <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what, is there any ones that stand out bad gig-wise that uh, went wrong? Um, oh, Jesus Christ. It was one, one in Montreux, in Switzerland, a very posh affair, massive attack. Big youth and culture, Siggy Marley and people like that. And, and, uh, was in this big old castle. And guys doing our lights, Chris Mackay, okay Mackay, was a complete dope fiend at the time. I mean, you used to have to shovel them up and put them into a bucket to get them up with the gigs. And they had this big brand new lighting desk, a big brand new signboard, 
and they were on tiers. So the lighting desks were in this great high tier, with 12 foot down. There's this big, brand new desk. It's about £250,000 worth of kit. Mackay's pie-eyed drunk. He's got a bottle of 12-year-old whiskey up there at the board. He's steaming in. He can't see two feet in front of him. And he, he knocks the bottle of whiskey out right onto this big, posh new board. Just as the uh, Belgian washroom was set up. <laughs> And you know, and then uh, and and they've started off, and you can see, you know, you can you can see him at the front, you can see him at the front of the stage, and you can see him like that, you know, you see him mouthing, and you're like, what's he doing? You see him impersonating a guppy. What the fuck's going on there? You know, and uh, of course, uh, you know, Mackay had knocked out the fuck the whole board, every single in was done, and it was just the whole thing was just whiskey slips. <laughs> you know, and it was it was quite a big pile, you know, so. It was a lot of consternation, and we had to uh, we had to say he had been banged on the head on the way through for the airport, <laughs> and he wasn't himself. <laughs> but he ended up all right. You know, he ended up getting the money, you know. But uh, we had to sack McKay. Oh, you know, uh, we had to send him off to you know, we had to send him off to so sell his wares. So was that after you'd played? You already played then. Sorry, say again. So you had already played at that point? Aye, we'd already played. Aye, so we were all right. So it was, just right, right, I mean, all right. No, you know what? I mean, like I say, this was in Montreux in Switzerland, so they just pulled that board out. So you try the folks, we'll be back in an hour, just pulled it out, bump, bump, bump. And another one up there and running an hour. You know, and uh, you're like, oh, can we take the old one? You know, and, uh, we can fix that. <laughs> and I think you should just leave and never come back to Switzerland. <laughs> You know. uh, so is it uh, anywhere? Anywhere? He's, he's another one if you've got anywhere. I'm sure yeah, I've just been some really silly ones. I mean, uh, there was one, uh, Bob, you know, fine, uh, Bob fine off the stage, bring his, uh, bring his arm and his leg and uh, his um, son, son Remo uh, doing in uh, Reggio Calabria. And uh, we were all that drunk, Nene is new. So we just went and left him. You know, so we just thought he's jumped off, and you know, and, we, and it's quite a long jump. Like he's buggered off, so I just took care of the mic. I just took care of the mic. He's like, okay, he's a wee get later, something fine and dandy, okay, that's magic. And then we we, we, we packed up, and we got him going, and he got he got left, and he got left in radio. And then I, and then, you know, and then Bobby, you know, and like, like, he was even like this. Then you know, he's like a big star, Bob. So you know, he's like the queen. He goes up with a handbag and twenty pence in it, you know, in case he needs to make a phone call. <laughs> So there he is, stuck in the radio wheel and drunk it, guys. And, you know, and he's like, any chance of getting any money for the bus up to Milan, mate? Yes, <laughs> uh, if you work in my shop for, you know, you work in my shop for three months, you, know, you work your way up to Milan, mate. You know, I mean, I've been there for you know, it's, uh, I, I, got, I got left, uh, you know, um, I got left in Sicily, you know, because I got blind, roaring, drunk and fell asleep in a basement. I curled up in this basement at a big rave up outside, just outside Palermo. I curled up and I, they said they couldn't wake me up. And I mean, that was a drumming bass night. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm just going to get five hours dawson. I'm going to curl up into that basement. And I, you know, shoved a load of cotton wool in my lungs and I, I was out for hours. And they, they all just buggered off and forgot about me. The gigs used to be really chaotic, but now we've got Walsh here looking after us, so nobody gets lost, nobody gets left behind. Yeah. <laughs> was that before you had the manager, or just was the manager? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, well, the manager, you know, but I just thought it was sort of a wee gang, then. Yeah. So, 
you know, you know, after four or five years, people sort of got got a signed job title. But up until that point, it was just like everybody does everything. You know, everybody chopping chain. You know, you do this one night, I do that. You know, and everybody just finding their feet. You know, so dead, yeah. But so, so, so it was a really good laugh. You know, we've uh, you know, got carried away with Milan football hooligans one night. It was um, one night we were in this place called Cox Eighteen via Conqueta up at Porto Ticinese in Milan and we were playing we, we, we only had a few numbers and so we used to scoot, get the guitars and you know, sing Hank Williams numbers and what have you we'd up there and we see these 30 guys coming in and they're all lumps but we dare acid and we were sitting there you know, and, and these guys all got their shirts off and they're just looking at us they're just growling at us and the mayor and mayor would do that and me and Rob's looking at each other like you know, could they do and then we started getting really tripped to it, and I'm like, you know, all right, let's see, let's see what, let's see what I've got. So I stripped into my boxer shorts, and there's this big, this guy was, he was, he was, he was a semi detached hooster guy, right? <laughs> and uh, so I just jumped on him, and I shoved my tongue in his ear, and I kind of dry road on my butt. And his bottle just went like that, I could feel it, and we nearly farted the big fucking, you know, and, uh, and then they got, you know, so many guys are still with our pals. <laughs> they guys had, they had Rob up in the shooters, took them around the venue. They, came, they told us they came down there. It turned out that they were for Inter. And that place was AC guys. And they came down there for a rut. No, I ended up pals and all that. That's true. Me and Bobby Peacemakers that night. Football casuals and acids. Acid casualty. And I mean, that could, you know, they, they could have just, you know, they could have just wiped the flare ways. I mean, if the guy would have just got a grip in me, but he, he could have just squeezed me, you know, he could have just concertinaed me. But, you know, you know, we're all pals. So, what's the, what's the power of pop, mate? Power of pop, indeed, mate. What, what's the best gig? I mean, any gigs that just stand out when you just, the hairs in the back of your neck and you're like, wow. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes once said, uh, one way. There was one at Glastonbury in 2006, and it's been recorded. And it was, it was incredible. Um, it was, you know, um, it was incredible. Um, it was nearly 80,000 people there, you know, and we was, we was, you know, tapping the ball at that. We Roy Ayers and Roots Manoeuvre, and that was an incredible gig, you know. Uh, just, we, when we got off the stage, we went round the side of the stage, and the punters were still going mental for about five minutes. You know, uh, that was something else. Aye, there's been, there's been really, but there have been really good ones. It was a really, really amazing one two years ago in a pub in Dunfermline. A pub in Dunfermline. Maybe two, no, even 200. Was that Monty's? It was, uh, I can't, uh, PJ Malloy's. PJ Malloy, sorry, aye. That was sensational. I mean, and we got a recording of that, and that's, that's the best live recording we ever had that. I mean, that was just a sensational gig, you know. Um, you know, and then something you know, because you know, you see, you don't know what's going to happen at these things. I mean, you ex- expectation something that we can take out the equation now, having done, you know, nearly 3,000 gigs. But, you know, uh, before, you know uh, anticipation used to sometimes get the better of us, but now we just go, you know, you're like, all right, and we'll just do it, and then, you know, and then we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we just hope that the punters get what they, get what they came for. And I do. We don't quantify in the same way we used to now. I mean, uh, I don't quantify good or bad, you know, really good. I mean, you gauge, gauge, you know, when you look. And also, you know, you're permanently looking at the exits, and you anyway, like, oh, all right, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They, you know, two punters, oh, no. 
You're starting to leave. You're starting to leave. <laughs> you get it up. Get it up. You're starting to leave. You're starting to leave. You're watching the door. You're watching the door. That's, that's four pointers. Start getting it up. Getting it up. Because they're starting to leave. That's four pointers. And then, of course, it come back and go, that's all right. It's just made of calzy. Okay. Now I'm getting carry on. You know. So it's a long time since we chased anybody. I, I don't know. Me, I, I think it's coming through one of the machines. It's not it's me. Is it you? Or are you? Yeah. It's one professional. I've been up to an airplane. That's all right. Well, all right, you. Yeah. We're actually got Gordy Duncan Jr. in the background, you might hear as well. Hey, Duncan. Yeah. Hello. I'm just, I'm just earwigging here. <laughs> uh, I will just, uh, one thing I was also want to ask, man, about the, before we wrap it up is so, how does the, the writing process and the recording process go with, the, with Alabama 3? Sometimes it's a very simple. Like, because we did all this recording last year, we thought we would try things that were, you know, generic. So, being from South London, he says, we've never done dub before. So let's try and do a dub record. You know, we've got Jamaican guys in. You know, and a couple of Nigerian guys. And you know, started, we made this uh, dub. And then we made a country thing where we did a couple of our favourites and wrote, what we'll try to write proper Texas country, proper Tennessee, you know, try to generically. And then we did a kind of techno thing. That's the thing, and then we did one that we just called Drunk. It was so A, B, C, D, but you know, the guys in the office are bad. They're like, oh, what are you staying? I mean, you should spend a whole year. I mean, fees get through the roof, and we can't use any of that. So, so what happens to the Well, change? you know, um, you know we, we'll bring them round. You know, it's, it's no offence, but it's the office boys. You know, I mean, they're good at going out and getting the ginger. Leave it on to us. You know, uh, you can get the sausage rolls. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's, that's what you're good at. You know, you can get a sausage rolls and then make sure you bring back my bus pass. You know, and you just leave it on to us. We'll be all right. So, no, I, I reckon, you know, next year, they, they, you know, they'll, they'll come round. Because obviously, as well, as you say, you know, you never know. But the, the writing process is, is because there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of people in Alabama 3, so people write in wee groups, you know, two, two people here, three people there, and then our, our garden rooms are small, and uh, so you get but there's two or three people in at a time, and so you're doing things rotationally. And of course, you know, as the technology's developed, that's become a lot easier because you can pass files back and forth, and you, you can pass quality files back and forth. So the, 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 the writing process is, is all you know, and it alters and it becomes tailored to you know the you know the, the, tech, the technology we're using. But you know, at the moment. You know, we've been writing and uh, we've been working with new guys. Uh, the was just taking a back seat in this one, and uh, you know, working with a couple of uh, new guys. Um, and so you know, these new tracks have got a different kind of flavour. And we've got some gigs at the weekend. Then uh, this is you know, like I say, you know, the you know, end of May or end of January now. So. You know, by uh, you know the time people hear this, we'll have uh, more or less be finishing pre-production. Did you did you usually write uh, words before you start the music? Sometimes. So was it even as young as maybe just scribbling down some yeah, thoughts? Sometimes and... you know, and that's right. You know, sometimes you know you just like, oh, that's good. I keep that. I'll keep that in the mental Rolodex. That's good. You know, and then sometimes you know it would be the reverse. 
You know, you'd just be fidgeting about, you'd get a beat, and then it would just, you know. And, 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 and of course, you'd, you'd be sitting about, pottering about in the studio for three and four days at a time, getting nothing, twiddling your thumbs, you know, getting restless, going in and out for a fag, going blah, blah, doing this and that, drinking endless cups of tea, blah, 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 whatever, and then go to the off-license, and like, it's six o'clock now, I can have a can of beer, you know, and, you know, but then somebody just, you know, it's what we like to call it a happy accident, something happens, and then everybody's like, oh, there it goes, you know, and then it's just that wee spark, you know, the, you know, so they, I mean, but we, we, what we, we obviously had to, what we're able to do now is after having so, had such a, a long-term relationship, is now everybody can see right away. You know, when that wee thing happens, everybody goes, oh, there it goes, right, get on that. You know, but, you know when I start building up on that, you know, start layering that, start doing that, you know, start adding things onto that. You know, Can you remember uh, the first it, ever song you wrote? The first song? Or the first, or a lyric, one of your first I, 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 Alabama 3. Or just, just in general, eh? Uh, 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 first songs that I ever wrote were, you know, uh, when I was a punk rocker in Glasgow, when I was a teenager, they were all daft things about, you know, the spirochetes and cankers, and, you know, and just daft stuff, and, uh, you know. Um, and uh, at that time, you know, uh, you know, Jim Kelman and Tom Leonard and people like that were making really serious innovations and they doing things with the Glasgow accent and putting it on the page. You know. And, and, you know, was a lot of that, like we were talking about earlier with the hip-hop. I mean, you know, punk rock was kind of the same ethos. You know, you, you did things in your accent. So, you know, I, a lot of what I wrote, what I personally wrote was, you know, was like that. You know, and then when I, I went down the road, you know, we, we started trying to do Mary, a sort of rock and roll type of thing, you know, like, you know, classic sort of guitar, bass, drums, singer setup. You know, you start moving away from that, start looking at things a wee bit. You, know, you start looking at things a wee bit more formally. You know, like, and start looking at the way you know, way people construct things. You know, you know, you get to know your song, you know, be able to pull it apart, put it back together again. You know, so you're learning basic mechanics. You know, and where and where it goes on. You know, and then the, the, the more and more you, you can sort of noodle a bit with it and, and, and tweak it, you know. But being basically with us, it's always this sort of spark, this thing. You know, mostly a lot of the time just starts with somebody saying something, somebody writing something, one line or somebody just, you know, pushing the ring button or somebody just hitting a, you know, some sort of dissonant chord in the guitar even sometimes. You just, and then like, oh, that's great, we'll jump on that, you know. Has there been any Scottish bands from your... That you've you've worked with coming through, and you thought they're amazing, and they just never made it. Oh, I mean, God, Jesus Christ! Any good so bands many, that maybe so many. I mean, when we were younger, and all that punk rock thing was going on, we thought James King and all. We, Jimmy was just an immense writer, a great writer. You know, I mean, and his contemporaries at the time, Edwin Collins, Jim Kerr, Charlie Butcher, and people like that. Jimmy was, you know. We thought, anyway, Jimmy was the best of years old. You know, he was just brilliant. Uh, you know, we just, you know, she just, you know, just didn't get a break, which goes to prove, you know, that, you know, things on there about you know people don't see talent all the time, you know, because you know, a lot, of, a lot of the time that gets you to a certain stage, and then you have to have all these, all this external apparatus come into play, you know, which is the day we marketing, more or less, the day we marketing. And so, you know, that, I mean, I'm not saying I know the ins and outs of why uh, somebody like James King didn't become as well known as he should, in my opinion, still be. 
but you know, I could possibly, you know, guess and postulate that that may have had something to do with it. But I've seen, you know, there's a bunch of guys. I mean, Christ, uh, you know, uh, Maggie McDonald is another one. I mean, I met, you know, great writer, great you know, guitar player, everything else. Um, you know, I, I think uh, to a certain extent, you know, you could say the same about Paul Haig through then, but with Joseph Kane, you know, anything you get where they should have. Bunch of other folk, oh, you know, the list, the list is so long. I mean, because this is this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, there are always you know, and a major, you know, a major city like Glasgow, and there's always really good stuff on about all the time. Yeah. You know, so I mean, uh, a lot of that isn't going to go through. And then, of course, there are the ordinary economical constraints. I mean, people got to go to work. Yeah. So you know, um, and then uh, you, 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 like, uh, for instance, where where I I mean, you get to a certain stage, and then you say, okay, I'm not going to commit to this. Or am I not going to be able to? And a lot of the time, people are just not going to be able to because, of, you know, the, the family commitments and the ordinary stuff. Yeah. You know, the ordinary day-to-day is just keeping a roof over your head and keeping keep, you know, keep the clothes on your back and something in your stomach, you know. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I mean, you know yourselves. I mean, once you say, I'm committing to this, you have to go on your arse for quite a long time. You run a bit with the arse hanging out your trousers, you know, I mean... Some of the silly things me and Rob did. I mean, you're going up to tourists in Basel in Switzerland and sticking a pencil and let them in a cash point. You got money! You know, well, not, not strictly speaking, that's not strictly speaking true. <laughs> Sorry, Scott Clyde or whatever you're called, policeman. Uh, I didn't do that. Uh, but you know, you, 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 you know, you literally you said, you know, um, busking was always the thing when I was busking. You know, uh, so you, 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 know, you, you decide to commit to it, so then, you know, you, you stop working. At your job, you go in your debt, and then it becomes you know you, you go travelling, and then you, you in the afternoon you're out in the train stations and you know tourist spots with your guitars, trying to drum up money, eating that, and then you just you know go and go and run pubs and pub bars and whatever at the night saying, saying look, look, listen to us, and give us a shout if you like it, and we'll come in and play for you. you know, so I mean, in the process could take an awful long time. So, would, would, would you say what country was quite? More, more welcoming to that kind of thing? Um, I, I always think of Europe. Uh, basically, you know, um, uh, the low countries, especially the Benelux countries, you know, uh, Norway and Belgium, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Italy, Germany, you know, they, they seem to just be a wee bit more open to things, and, you know, and then they seem to be, it seems to me that when people go out, you know, they don't, they're not really bothered too much about quality as long as it's danceable, you know, because don't seem to me to take it so seriously. Mm. You know, I mean, you know what it's like. It can be like here. It's like cities like Glasgow and Liverpool and Manchester and that have got great traditions there. Like, you know, these great groups that have been coming to them for generations and people tend to sort of stand there and go, oh, you know, well, it's not the Beatles, is it? It's not a sensational Alex Harvey band, is it? It's not Simple Minds, is it? It's not Orange Juice, is it? You know, you're like, well, okay, but the Europeans to me, and men are rather than my experience, they don't seem to be like that. You know, I mean, sometimes me and Rob, the original version I woke up this morning was 32 minutes long and it was four loops with just me and Rob spouting complete total push over it for ages, for hours, you know. And then it, and until, you know, uh, one night, you know, we, we worked, we like, well, we'll just dare us as a blues, right? So write some bluesy words. And, and we had this singer, Rasha, she was great. And... So we've got the mic set up and all that, and we've got EQ, it's just nice and warm the way she wants it. And she's like, all right, I'll just give myself a Savaloy and chips and I'll be back up. And she disappeared. 
right? She disappeared. We weren't looking for her ever. And we're like, oh my God, you know. And then months later, we found out she went down to the chip shop and her family, who were religious fanatics, part of some strange cult, had been following me and Rob and her. And they saw their opportunity, snatched her at the chip shop and took her away back to the commune. And we never saw Rachel again. So Rob had to go in the booth. So, no, I, I'm sorry, I, 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 took the, I went in the booth and had a go in my lap. <laughs> and then the, the peers went in the booth and were like, oh, man, it's worse. And then Rob went in and we're like, did you know say before, fuck, you could say, you could have said before, you could have said, it was, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. That sounds quite good, that. That sounds quite good. And we're like, John, you know, when we're looking at John Wilkinson, the engineer, and we're going, is that you? Are you, you doing something to him? <laughs> and he says, no, that's all dry, that's just him. And we're like, going to do that again, you and, he, you know, and, then he, and then that was that, you know, and then he says, oh, look, you know what, this is that. We've got to start writing songs for us rather than just doing these, you know, these techno tracks. He's going to start telling these things, dude. So, you know, again, a happy accident. Great man. And the rest is, you know. History. Yeah, and you're still making history, you're still touring yeah. about. Uh, busy year ahead. I'm not so busy with the gigs and that, but not until probably in about May now because we want to make another good LP. And Your fourth one this year? Um, um, to, well, to be fair, it'll be the sixth. I mean, I only mentioned the four. There's one we don't even talk about. <laughs> There's one we didn't even talk about. It's that good. Mm. It's that good. We're not even sure it was us that did it. We think that we think uh, you know the the visitors from the sky might have divined <laughs> through us. You know, this is just wonderful because we're not sure it's us. But uh, you know, I we 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 a festival outside the UK. Is there any uh, European ones you'd recommend that I check out? Uh, yeah, yeah. Probably it would need to be European in my budget. They change but. every year, but uh, you know, uh, they change every year. And I'm terrible. I'm not very good at names of these things. But, Just in uh, case the country, and I'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That, well, we were at, we were at two in Croatia last year, and they were sensational. And I can't remember the names of them. Bloody life for me. And we were at one uh, so in Czech last year outside of Strava. Um, and uh, and then another one through in Slovakia, just outside this meeting called Terezin. Um Beautiful spot in this old uh, military airport. Um, there's a, obviously, there's a Benicassim down in South Spain. There's Festimat in Madrid. Uh, you know, and there's a Pantoflo d'Oro um, up near Turin. Uh, I've started a, f- a festival in a we were at that two years ago, and that was really, really yeah. nice. I mean, some of them are just in really sensational spots, you know. So, and yeah, a wee bit of guaranteed sunshine as uh, well. And you know, and the, the food, to tell you, you know, it's the, you know, we were in a, we went to a big union conference in Sofia in Bulgaria, big three day thing, uh, two years ago, and that was just amazing. I mean, none of us had ever been there, you know, and we like, I didn't want to leave. I mean, we, Tomatoes, like beefsteak tomatoes, like pumpkins and that. I mean, they, you know, I was like, Jesus Christ, eat better than the Italians. I'm staying here. You know, and it was like 30 pence for a pint and stuff like that. I was like, if I'm going, I've got, I've got a pal in Belfast that's um, now got a, you know, um, just say that's a fact. Um, I, I got a pal in Belfast. 
got we holiday places. So I'm going my holidays in Bulgaria this year. Now you know, um, I mean, I may well not come back. You know, I may well just uh, set up a tent out there and get myself a wee four track desk and start <laughs> pottering about and making folk music, coming my hair and wearing sandals and a caftan. You know, save myself all the bother of running. Berk- before the Brexit, get away from the Brexit. Yeah, that's right. I get, Are we get, tearing Bulgaria before, away, they, yeah. before they close the borders? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, of course, you know, I, 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 knowing my luck, I, I, you know, my passport, I've got, I'll be able to get it. And then, of course, I'll not be able to get back up to Scotland because I was born in England. Oh, right, aye. I only think Scottish about it is my accent. You know, uh, because uh, I, I think uh, my ma was quite conscious of that. I was born in uh, Dagenham in East London. And I think my ma broke them up the road before I started singing what I chewed. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. <laughs> when he kept <laughs> So, in the funny closing words, mate, before we. Well, no, no, really, just uh, be good to each other and um, also, you know, uh, start looking up for yourselves and uh, start, you know, uh, people just uh, start, you know, uh, start getting on this Scottish hip hop thing because it's undeniable. I mean, uh, and. Uh, you know, people, you know, well, I really don't very much more to say than that, you know, you're just going to enjoy yourselves and uh, try and, you know, this, this Brexit thing is, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's inevitable and, uh, you know, people are eventually going to have to try and resist uh, the, the degree to which the bosses want to deregulate. It's going to have to because otherwise they're going to starve and go to war. It's as simple as that. Nice one. Cheers, man. Thanks for doing this. Well, I'm not. Take care, man. This. Nice.